This week we have a very special episode of Watch Out for Fire. This week we have a very special episode of Watch Out for Fireballs about Dungeons and Dragons. And if you are interested in hearing more high-flying tales of implausible fantasy, such as those written by R.A. Salvatore, Weiss and Hickman, or The Warren Report, you can go to audibletrial.com slash watchoutforfireballs, where you can sign up for a free trial of their service and get a free audiobook download of your choice. It'll play on whatever you throw it at, such as your iPhone, Android, Kindle, Bag of Holding, Music Elemental, Headphone Golem, you know. Once again, that is audibletrial.com slash watch out for fireballs for your free audiobook. My name is Gary Butterfield. My name is Cole Ross. And you're listening to Watch Out for Fireballs. It is a retro games of all kind podcast. <laughs> and this week we have a very special episode about Dungeons and Dragons. Dungeons and Dragons. Dragon, dragon, dragon. Hence the all kinds disclaimer. Yes. This yeah. episode will, the first half we're going to talk about dungeons. <laughs> and the second half we're going to change it up a little bit and go into dragons. Dungeons with the, dragons? That's the appendix. Yeah, or the yeah, episode, rather. I got shows mixed up. <laughs> yeah, the the uh, yeah, Dungeons and Dragons is actually the third draft of the name. It, it had a, a couple of earlier versions, which was Dungeons or Dragons, which was was a little bit more limited. And then Dungeon that Dragon. Yeah, like, like Gygax was a yeah. was a real he just stomping on his hat and just <laughs> shaking shaking his fist. Yeah, and then a little Stupid. bit later in the eighties, they wanted to get Dungeon X or Dragon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep, yep. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, so yes, so so this episode is going to be it's going to be like one of our special episodes. If you remember those about like video game music and about uh, you know arcades and such, um, we just kind of tackle a subject. This is a really involved uh, thing, and and we're both big fans of it. But I mm-hmm. want to throw out a disclaimer at the top. Thank you. That uh, there's a lot. Of, yeah, they, absolutely. There's a lot of history here. If we get a minor detail wrong, we're just people. Yep, and uh, and it's going to happen, and it's also we're not going to be totally uh, inclusive of everything because we, you know, I know that the the assassin class was introduced through some supplement thing, mm-hmm. you know, but just because I just read it, we're not going to cover down to that level of detail. So yeah. this is a kind of a primer and kind of a, a part primer, part history, you know, kind of. Why, cool, take us through the the table of contents. Yeah, it's a survey class, right? Yes, yep, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Dungeons and Dragons one hundred and one. Yes. Okay, so the first half of this episode is going to be about dungeons. No, wait. <laughs> <laughs> the first half is going to be about the tabletop game um, and kind mm-hmm. of its its history and the basics um, and uh, just some of the elements that, uh, the, that are endemic to that, to that particular experience. We're going to take a brief uh, intermission to uh, talk about our own personal histories with, uh, with Dungeons & Dragons um, because, mm-hmm. surprise, surprise, we both have played D&D at one point in our lives. 
Um, yeah, 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 yeah. And then the uh, the second bit we're going to talk about, um, probably of more direct interest to, to some fans of the show, um, the influence of Dungeons and Dragons on video games and the history of video games based on Dungeons and Dragons. Mm-hmm. So. So this episode is a little bit of a departure, as we have said, um, but uh, we hope that um, this back half will help contextualize it and, you know, make you put down your pens and your torches and your pitchforks. Yes. Yeah. Yep. I mean, we and did that episode like, about fun centers, right? That's not specifically about, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That has, you know, video game elements. We did talk, spend a lot of time talking about video games during that, this is, <laughs> that episode. That, 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 that and, is true. As we will this time as well. Yes. Um, the uh, and also like part of me, I'm not you know super evangelistic about a lot of things, but mm-hmm. and and history is siding with me about this. But the idea of just Dungeons and Dragons being the dorkiest, stupidest thing in the world, um, I want to go away in, yep. because it's actually like it's. I haven't met anyone who's tried it who didn't think it was pretty fun. And and the older I get and the more corrupt I become, that's really <laughs> all that like matters. Like I don't actually give a shit what you know if anyone thinks it's nerdy. Mm-hmm. at all like that's that's ceasing to become a thing at a rapid pace yeah and uh and that's great and mm-hmm. it should be because this is tons of fun so maybe if uh listening to this if you mostly just play video games and you kind of see like oh you know i like all this stuff maybe i like this like get some friends together yeah dick around it's it's like it's it's you know the the word the phrase that gets popped around is nerd poker mm-hmm. it's a pod the podcast that's brian Hussein playing dungeon and dragons is called that but like it's essentially what it is is just hanging out with some buddies rolling some dice Telling some stories, right? Yeah, yeah, totally. Like it, it's got like the thing. One of the things I love about um, Dungeons and Dragons is that it uh, it's not really easy to poke down exactly what the experience can be. Like it encapsulates a wide range of experience. Same way that oh, that kid over like I don't want to hang out with him. He plays video games. Well, you know, does he play <laughs> like Tetris on the bus? You know, or is it a mom who plays The Sims, or is it a kid who plays Call of Duty all the time, or is it, you know, that doesn't really say anything. A nine-year-old chain smoker down at the tracks playing video poker. Yeah, yeah, totally. The pachinko junkie who, <laughs> who who is a professional black cat, as they call them, and just hangs around people as bad luck until people give him money to go away. Um, you know, it doesn't it doesn't mean as much as I think it it mm-hmm. kind of has the reputation for meaning. Like yeah. it can mean a lot of different things. Mm-hmm. So yeah. And and to take it away from being defensive, it's just fun. Yeah, yeah. Like, it, it, it is super fun. And yeah. we should talk about it now. Um, the second half, or the next week, the uh, the extra episode for this is actually our actual play session that was funded by Kickstarter. So um, thank you, Kickstarter backers. We were able to afford to get a little additional equipment and have Cole stay out a little bit longer to sit in on uh, one of my game nights. Yeah. Um, so you will be introduced to Ben, Courtney, Nick, Levi, as well as us, as well as us, and uh, listen to us actually play Pathfinder, which is a technicality that I hope you'll let us slip by because it's essentially <laughs> like I think it's probably the best D and D system. Yeah, you know. Um, so listen it's, to us play Pathfinder. It's the it's the Kirkland branded uh, um, Dungeons and Dragons. It's Costco, right? Yeah, well, but better. Oh, it's definitely. Like, it's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. It's no. like the uh, yeah. It would be like if the. Uh, the the opposite were true in some kind of world where generic brands actually tasted mm-hmm. much better. It's uh, it's Archer Farms. Yeah, there we go. Exactly. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> yeah, there we go. It's uh, but yeah, it's it you know colloquial. I'm having a real mush mouth day, but uh, that's fine. Known as a three point seven five, mm-hmm. you know, in, in the the uh, something awful thread. Yeah, because that's pretty much what it is. Mm-hmm. I had um, a, I had a lovely time, and everybody we played with, they're all lovely people, and I hope that you enjoy that when you listen yeah. to it. Yep, so yeah, and again, thanks to Kickstarter backers for allowing us to do this. 
Um, so the history of D&D, there's a lot here, but we're not going to go into all of it. Um, but as far as the basics, um, it's created by Gary Gygax and Dave Arneson um, for TSR with Tactical Studies Rules, which is a real, uh, <laughs> it sounds like somebody, like something like graffiti in a dorky college. Yeah. <laughs> like in a bathroom, like Tactical Studies Rules. I love how you um, were about to say it sounds real grognardy, but then you stopped and, <laughs> and realized that would be too appropriate. So Yeah. yeah they, they, um, you see, that one of the many things Dungeons and Dragons has, has given us. Yeah. Um, the, the term grognard. Um, inspired by uh, kind of war gaming, specifically a miniature-based game called Chainmail that Gary Gygax created with Jeff Perrin, hmm. um, yeah. who, who's another guy. There's a lot of, like, uh, similar to early Marvel, there's a lot of kind of people who are left by the wayside. Yeah. And then, like, licensing, you know, battles to cut people out of royalties. Yeah, yeah. You know, for this. Like, it's not, like, a good company. Like, I love Dungeons & Dragons, but it is a, uh, you know, it's you get the, the sense that some of these people are kind of bastards. Or at, no. the, or at the very least, unfairly excluded. Like you have your Steve Jobs, and then you have Steve Wozniak, right? Yeah, yep, yep, yeah. And the uh, it wasn't created, you know, it was created for TSR, but that's also a company that Gary Gygax uh, founded with uh, Don Kay, right? As well. So the, yeah. um, you know, it's it's Gygax is pretty much, you know, the if there's going to be, and I guess that's uh, the Marvel analogy still works. Mm-hmm. So he's the Stan Lee of this, yep. Even though there's Jack Kirby's. Mm-hmm. in the woodworks yeah so, and war gaming were- was very much a thing before this right except it was more based on like world war ii like actual military stuff so instead of being a character you were like military formations and such yeah yeah, yeah. and there were there was you know medieval war gaming as well but you were you're always you know a unit of troops mm-hmm. uh, similar to a heroes of Might magic and uh mm-hmm. and and this was the you know the first kind of game that had rules for individuals right so, yeah. yeah, and it took off. It became very, very successful. Uh, specifically, regular D and D, and then Advanced Dungeons and Dragons uh, came along, right? Yeah, yeah, and it's one of those things too, where it's um, like when you listen to uh, or read about early Sierra, where they're packaging, or you know, Ultima, um, yeah. Ak- Aklabeth, where they're packaging the game in sandwich bags mm-hmm. and hand doing in their garage. Like there's there's a, a print run of the first Dungeons and Dragons that was a thousand copies, like handmade in a garage. Was it poorly xeroxed? Um, I, you better believe it, buddy. <laughs> the, uh, and, you know, sold out in a year. Like, it's one of those, like, really charming kind of success stories of, yeah. you know, just garage developers making a thing, mm-hmm. which, is, which is really cool. Yeah. And, uh, and they, you know, they capitalized on it. So, you know, it's doing really well. Um, they came out with kind of a basic set, you know, which is Dungeons and & Dragons and an advanced set, which, uh, they, you know, advanced doesn't necessarily mean higher skilled. It just means, you know better rules right. and more of them, you know, kind of more options. Right. And it kind of started two different paths right. um, that the game went through. So the, the basic set kind of continued for, for a while, and that is the easier version of uh, Dungeons and & Dragons. And then the advanced set is kind of what the, the lineage gets traced to today. Right. For all the so, different editions. Uh, so basic D&D is really, really weird. It's incredibly weird. <laughs> like when we, elf when we, and dwarf are classes? That's weirder than that. Like, it's, when we get to the part, we're going to talk about um, yeah, yeah, the different, the, the different editions. editions. But for yeah. my role-playing games as literature class, um, one of the – we had to kind of propose, you know, uh, like a, an assignment essentially. We had a final and we had a kind of a midterm thing. And uh, I did uh, – ran my group through the first uh, D&D. Mm-hmm. And one of the, the big things I want to talk about in this episode that's interesting to me is the way that rules uh, – contextualize and enforce play mm-hmm. and kind of limit, um, you know, the kind of stories you can tell right. 
in a system. And and it relates to video games. Like when you think about, um, you know, like there are so many video games about just moving through and shooting people, you know, and that tends to be the goal. Um, I think it is, I think it's Campster as a video where he's talking about that. And he's saying how, you know, well, computers are good at moving things through 3D space. Mm-hmm. And dealing with you know dealing with numbers, it's not so good about dealing with emotions, et cetera. Yeah, and clicking and, on things is something that you do on computers. Ergo, shooting. Yes, exa- exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Like it's already you know, and and that just makes a lot of sense. Um, and tabletop gaming began the same way, where mm-hmm. a lot of the rules were set up, um, where it was like the it wasn't so much role playing because your characters, you know, being uh, lawful as it were, um, had a duty. To, to kill things that were chaotic, which was the equivalent of evil, mm-hmm. and every all of the the risk all the reward system was set up just involved around money. Mm-hmm. Like you used to get experience points for killing things, but every gold piece was worth an experience point as well. Right. So the only win state or win condition you were working towards could only involve slaughter and, and plunder. Right. You know, essentially, and then uh, you know the game at a certain point, um, and I've got a, got an idea where that point well, it is, um, kind of opened up a little bit. Yeah. At least as far as Dungeons and Dragons, there were alternatives to D anD D that came out. Like this mm-hmm. is not the only tabletop game, obviously, right. uh, that kind of allowed for a greater variety of stories. But initially, the game was set up very much to just be you know a dungeon dungeon crawl, like go kill the evil thing and take all their stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, and it just reminded me a lot of video games and kind of uh, that idea that. You know, people are one of the, you know the big video games is art. Then <laughs> has to do partly because of the very limited verb set you generally have in video games. Yeah, you know? yep. and uh, yeah, it's, it kind of mirrors that in an interesting way. It's storytelling devices. It's primitive to nuanced, right? Yeah, it's a train charging towards the camera versus yeah. Chinatown, right? Yeah, 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 and uh, yeah, and this very much being a game went through kind of a similar. Or, you know, tabletop games in general has moved through a similar journey that video games have as well. So you mentioned in the notes that they had some financial trouble. I mean, with with as successful as this was, I mean, they <laughs> any tabletop game is going to have this weird metonymy where it is going to be Dungeons & Dragons. How did they fall out of favor? So the uh, there's a couple of things that I was able to find. There's not a whole lot on this um, that I was able to find online. Um, part of it was, you know, kind of a classic hubris. Oh, yeah. Which is why you know game companies go under, just kind of flooding the market, and uh, and kind of thinking of themselves as unstoppable. And then there was also just a little bit of zeitgeist, um, specifically when um, you know magic cards kind of became the hot new thing. Mm, yeah, that was really hard because that took up a lot of the the kind of gaming yeah. space. It took up a lot of table space. Yeah, exactly, in a, in a literal and meta, metaphorical way. Um, so the success of that um, you know hurt them a lot. Um, I also think, and I couldn't find anything to support this, but that kind of dickheadery that involved them, you know, trying to cut people out and such, like, yeah. seems like a, an unsustainable model. All of that is, like, something that makes me think that, like, Games Workshop is, like, their days are numbered, but I'm wondering if so much of that is just so codified now that they're going to be in business forever, despite that dickheadery. Yeah. Yeah, who, yeah. who knows? Like, I mean, it's just kind of, <laughs> it's it's frustrating when evil triumphs. Yeah. Um, the uh, And this, and evil did triumph here, because when we talk about financial trouble, this is mid-90s. Just you know, about, so they, yeah. yeah, so they, they had, like, a, a pretty good run, you know, of, of 20 years of <laughs> yeah. ridiculous prosperity. Uh-huh. Um, and, and it's also, I think it's important to, to couch it in terms of what it is like this was never as big as when you talk about the tabletop boom it's not like the arcade boom no. or you know the success of the nes like it's always been on a smaller scale yeah than that so they did very well for themselves 
but exactly it's much more modest there's like less buy-in that you actually have to do to get into this right oh yeah you know it's yeah. like three books at the most you know less than that maybe like one set of those books per four people who are playing the game and you're good right so they're making you know they made an empire off of this really relatively modest amount of product that they were selling right right and and they made i think part of the the reason why things went to shift for them is them working to uh make their product less modest so Mm -hmm. you know there was definitely a period in the in the mid 90s where there was real like kind of supplement and module bloat yeah yeah you know when i first got into D, there were more uh just kind of supplemental material than than anything and i i kind of see that as you know at least when they they ramp that up as an answer to magic which is a, a perpetual game like you just once you start playing magic it's a, a monthly cost it's you know world of warcraft yep. you can just play with the cards you have but you're not going to and you're going to keep looking for fresh experiences mm-hmm. um so even though i think that they and there have always been modules but there were more um at that point yeah and uh, they were trying to make it something that people would pay you know in kind of magazine form and buy by little bits yeah so mm-hmm. yep, this yep. all le- led to wizards of the coast uh buying them which are the people who make magic, magic. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly it's, it's like when a yeah exactly it'd yeah. be like if if uh, it, inside a walmart like walmart <laughs> just bought all the local local stores and just kept, kept you know kept running them yeah um, that, that happened in uh, 1997 um and that was about three years before third edition was, uh, was released so third right. edition kind of was the was the vanguard of this new era of management right yeah, and third edition had been in development before Wizards of the Coast bought them, but my understanding is there are a lot of changes yeah. uh, that they made. And uh, right now, D and D is still going. Yep. Um, the Wizard, the Wizards of the Coast buy-in was good yes. for them for the most part, and or for the the brand. You know, has got more people into it. They they organize kind of events um, that they go around, and uh, they're working on right now on D and D next. Right. Uh, just the, the new edition that's coming I love, out. I love the parallel between that and EverQuest next. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> Let's hope not for the for the sake of you know um yeah, for, the for, 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 the, for the sake of which. Yeah. Yeah, well, I was gonna say for the D and D property. I don't I think I don't both know how much hope risk. I have. Yeah, I know, both both are players. Well don't was it what when the extra soda we were talking about not using things that mean time yeah. to describe things that are not <laughs> <Yeah>. time. <laughs> Like they might as well call next. it EverQuest plus plus. Like yeah, or well, they might or, as well call it EverQuest like three thousand or you know two thousand ten. Yeah, you know, or like, just like you know, timestamp it immediately because mm-hmm. at some point it's going to seem archaic, and it's you know it's going to be in the past and be outdated and yeah. you know. So like realize <laughs> that ideas will change. D and D the new hotness. Damn it! Yeah, <laughs> You're Wait, I don't know what it would be like a, a good a good name for it if they didn't just want to call it fifth edition. Well, just call it fifth edition. Like it makes it yeah. so easy to to put it on your shelf. Like for taxonomical efficiency. Like like yeah. don't <laughs> just just be humble and say, hey, this is the fifth one. It took us it took us this long to get it right. Like here we it, go. It's the, it's the fault of marketing. Oh it's, yeah, it's, yeah. It, yeah. It's it's like many things in this world. It is an evil <laughs> resulting of the idea of marketing. Mm-hmm. So to insult my intelligence and try to sell me something. Yep. Like, so good job marketing. <laughs> um, but let's so real quick, just in case anybody. So that's kind of that's the real fast version of what happened. Yeah. With D and D again, it's not uh, not complete. What a cool! What for the listeners if they've never seen it? What does a game of Dungeons and Dragons look like? What are you doing? 
Well, physically, you are sitting around a table and um, you are doing this kind of call and response thing with a person who is designated to run the game called the Dungeon Master. Uh, but really, they are the uh, person who is in charge of shepherding the story, right? And they are the keeper of the numbers, and they you know they roll the dice, and they represent all of the uh, monsters and non-player characters, and they have uh, some kind of story in mind that they are ushering the uh, the rest of the players through. Everybody is rolling dice and referencing those with numbers from their character sheet in order to uh, come up with numbers uh, in order to uh, determine the success or failure of different actions. Um, and oftentimes, but not always, um, it's not entirely necessary, they're manipulating miniatures or uh, coins or some kind of thing on a uh, piece of graph paper representing the, uh, the, the environment of play, right? Yep. And the, and, the, the, the idea right. is you have a campaign that spans over multiple sessions, uh, sometimes over years. Um, and you are uh, taking a single character as a player uh, through a story, and uh, maybe you die, maybe you don't. Yep, and, and and kind of part of the appeal is experiencing that growth. Right. You know that that you have that kind of empowerment. It's also um, you know, and and not everybody does this, but you could also be acting like your yeah. character and making up you know personality affects and a voice and, and things like that but um, gary i thought that dungeons and dragons was played in the woods with pvc yeah. <laughs> pipes wrapped in foam in order to hit people and cast magic spells by throwing coins at them that's larping friend oh you're thinking <laughs> oh, boy am no, i an idiot yeah Dungeons and dragons is actually about when you go kill yourself in the sewer yeah <laughs> um the, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Sorry. So, that's, that's okay. The joke wasn't that funny. Cole's just got a cough. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, the, the, uh, it's, it's essentially, you know, that's what it is. But not everybody, like, you know, gets real. There are people who play it and they, they come up with these elaborate backstories and they treat it like improvisational theater. Mm -hmm. You know, so again, it's like a bigger thing that contains that. You can also play it where you don't do any of that. And it's, a, it's essentially a tactical war game with rules for growth Mm -hmm. And it's open-ended, yep. you know, that also tells a story. You can play it. You know, I've, you know, been in games before where the, the dungeon master has a, a really cool story that they want to tell, but none of the players are really game to, to get, you know, real act-outy and RP. Mm -hmm. And that works, too. Like, yeah. it works kind of like a, a, a choose-your-own-adventure game with stats and someone reading the book to you. Yeah. Um, all, the, all those things work, and they're, yeah. they're all different kinds of uh, styles to yeah. it. But essentially, like, if you, if you are... Uh, you know, you have kind of a stat block as your character and you are rolling dices to, you know, dice to determine <laughs> the result of actions, you yep. know, while somebody, uh, dictates what's happening. Yep. That's, uh, that's, that's D and D and, and tabletop role playing. Yeah. And the character and content of any particular game, um, is determined by the dungeon master and also the general disposition of the group. Um, and really, uh, the the only limit is your imagination um, as far as what you can do and if your dice rolls can uh, can support it right yep exactly yeah but you can you can do you know and and that again comes really down to group style too mm -hmm. how much that's going to be tolerated um, but there's not really a wrong way to do it you can't say like I, I can't just walk over there and ignore something or mm -hmm. you know um, the dungeon master can do something stupid like put a dragon there or whatever and then you just go find new people to play with because. <laughs> You know, that's not what you really want to do. No. Or, you know, yeah. So it, it really could be whatever you want. No. Um, I tend to, you know, uh, the most success I've had with it were with people who are pretty chill mm -hmm. and who make a lot of jokes. Yeah. So it is just, uh, you know, people who I think are funny and uh, we hang out and make funny jokes and then just try to get through this, this story thing. <laughs> get through this together. Yeah. Yep, exactly. And, and with a little bit of, you know, people come up with backstories, but very rarely do people do voices. 
Yeah. And, uh, yeah. It's about establishing motivations, right? It's the most yeah. basic, it's the most basic level of acting, which helps you, you know, put limitations or give yourself advantages in different situations. Right. Yeah. And, yeah. The, and, the, and like the worst situation you can be in is, you know, is to be with a, with a rules lawyer, um, and somebody yeah. who is, you know, min maxing and such. Yeah. And I've never had that experience. I think that D and D has a reputation for that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I've never, I've never had that experience. I've yeah. never played with anybody who did. Um, and the times I've, you know, been exposed to somebody who's, who does that, um, you know, it, it doesn't last very long. Yep. Um, so the, uh, being a little, being a little bit looser with it is, uh, you know, the yep. way that I like to play and the way I encourage anyone else to as well. Yeah. It's, uh, it, 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 it just like most things, if you reduce the amount of stress in a situation, maybe you're going to have a better time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. It's also fun to drink while you play it. Yeah. Like my group right now is, you know, it's, 40% teetotalers. So the, uh, there's not, we don't really drink while playing, but that's a good, that's a good fun time. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it's I, some are good. I, I mostly only ever played in high school, so we didn't do a lot of drinking, but I could see how that would be a thing. This is all drinking, uh, Mountain Dew. <laughs> yeah. Mountain, that, Mountain Dew was, and Doritos and cliches. Yes, yeah. 10, 10, 10 D and D cliches. We're here to disprove on <laughs> yeah. watch out for fireballs. Yeah. No, we, uh, we, we, we mostly drank ice water, uh, maybe some crystal light and we ate sun chips. Yeah, so. yeah, some non non flavored ice milk <laughs> yeah. for your group. Um, <laughs> yeah, nachos, nachos, raw style. Nachos, raw style. Cottage cheese with some triscuits with cottage cheese. Yep. No, we, yeah. had, we, we had a nacho hat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The the uh, I, I I've had one game that was real. Like we just you know brought Doritos and and Mountain Dew and really fucking stereotyped it up. Yeah. And was was fun because we were all hopped up on caffeine. Yeah. Yeah. Things, but I, mostly I, I, we just drink what we normally drink. That just sounds like the D and D equivalent of a theme party. Like, hey, let's have a let's have a prom party. That's a that's what it was. Like I told yeah. I you know told everybody like, hey, like bring Mountain Dew. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, wear jorts. Yeah. <laughs> bring all your stuff in a in a in a neoprene backpack or yeah, an nylon yeah, backpack. Stuff as much as you can into a pocket protector. <laughs> yep. And then <laughs> and let's go. Yeah. Let's do um, it. Code red, baby. Yeah, and it wasn't Code Red. It was something. What did we drink? OG. It was something. It wasn't uh, Mountain Dew. It was like uh, we drink Mountain Dew, but then there's also some like. Oh, did you drink Surge? It, I wish <laughs> it, it wasn't. Did you? Have, we talked. I'm sure it's been an episode show notes before. SaveSurge.org. Uh, no, I I actually do not believe we have because I would remember that because I really like Surge. Well, there's a community for people like you. I don't. I don't. I, don't know I mean, when I, when I was 12, I liked Surge, as you do when you're 12, but. Let me see if it's still a thing. Yeah, no. Surge became Vault, much like Ecto yeah. Cooler became something else. But <laughs> and and we did we drank a thing that was like uh, Vault. It might have been an offshoot of Vault, but it was called like uh, Red Blitz. And then uh-huh. we named our our group Red Blitz and <laughs> made a bunch of dumb anime jokes about uh, being Red Blitz because it sounded like the the precursor villains in a Final Fantasy. Like the, you had to fight you had to fight the Red Blitz, and then you know Zamzumadum comes up and. Is actually the villain, but uh, SaveSurge.org is still a thing, and there's a whole section about creating recipes, kind of essentially increasingly elaborate suicides, <laughs> um, you know, through soda to, to recreate the taste of Surge. Okay, you have to get two and a half jiggers of Sierra Mist, um, just the Mountain Dew syrup. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yep. there is, there is, there were recipes, there were recipes that involved getting Mountain Dew syrup. I'm not kidding. <laughs> Like, I'm, 
<laughs> I <laughs> swear I'm not the webmaster of this domain. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the, it, I swear there were like getting syrup ones, and then there were like people in the message in the message board saying like how do you get it, and the guy like managed a Taco Bell, well, and just, that's how he got a, the syrup. You just go to a wholesale place; they'll sell it to you. Like, <laughs> well, they, these you know, I, I, they're not being that pragmatic. I think, okay. and also you know, I, w- I would say they're kids, but their kids don't remember Surge. I mean, yeah, so so they're thirty year old kids. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they all have the minds of child. <laughs> minds of a child. Um, one fun thing to do on Dungeon Dragons, we get all hopped up um, on Surge or what have you, is not to worship Satan. <laughs> yeah. Segway, segway, <laughs> segway. Um, <laughs> yeah, no. I mean, I mean, uh, the, yes. Uh, hail Satan, of course. Right. Yeah. All, all hail Satan. Satan. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Gary, yeah. I would like to think of our podcast as the best ever death metal band out of Denton. Okay, well, well it'll both outpace and outlive us. So. Yeah, <laughs> there yeah. we go. The the um, there's there's a controversy that happens with D and D. There's kind of a two parts to it. One of which is, I mean, they're both stupid. <laughs> yeah, one part of it that's stupider than the other. Um, part of it was just it had devils and demons and shit. Right, right. In it. So it's um, the it's the general evangelical uh, tack of like, oh, it's Harry Potter, so it has wizards, ergo exactly. Satan. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So that, that's real dumb, and it led to to some uncool things. Like the um, the deities and demigods book, the first edition had all the Cthulhu mythos mm-hmm. monsters in it, which like H.P. Lovecraft would have loved. Like he's you know he's credited by some with you know that mythos kind of creating the shared universe yeah. as an idea. Mm-hmm. Um, you know that everybody can add and do whatever they want. Yeah, like he, he had a partnership with uh, with a Conan guy, right? And said like, yeah. "Yeah, we're part of this." And then August Derleth and on and on. So yeah, lots of people, and you know, they, like, "Hey, use my books, I'll use yours." You know, mm-hmm. um, kind of thing. So he he would have really dug it yeah. that people were you know imagining the stuff and yeah. uh, telling so new got, stories with his shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He would have really dug it, and they, and and they took that away, uh, Christians. Um, <laughs> Christians. And then the other thing they took away. Um, so there's a guy named James Dallas Egbert the Third. I don't know if you knew that was the name of the guy. Nope, I don't um, even know who it is, but I don't like him. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he's uh, he's the kid who uh, killed himself. Who is the reason why there was the like the mazes of monsters? Ah, uh, okay. Controversy. Oh, oh, so he was a Poindexter. Okay, he's a he's a real nerd. Yeah. And the world's better without him. That's not, that's not true. <laughs> no. um, like, like, just he died like 40 Dexter. years ago. His parents after. died to alcoholism like in 1995. <laughs> yeah, Come on. After. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like, yeah, he, he has been dead for a long time. Yeah. About 30, more than 30 years. Um, I guess that's true. We can make fun of James Dallas Egbert. He'd be like, like the same way we can make fun of, Yeah, we can make fun of like Lincoln. You know, <laughs> like, I can make fun of Kennedy all day. Come on. Yeah, yeah. We can. I mean, you know, it's not, it's almost too late. To make fun of James Dallas Egbert the Third, what a fucking nerd! Um, <laughs> well, well, to be to be fair, he, only nerds shoot themselves in the face in the sewer. Yeah, that should have been the poster. <laughs> to be fair, he probably he probably had a lot of other shit happening besides D anD D, as is the case. Well, that, he, he had one hundred percent other things happening. Yeah, okay. and, uh, I, I don't, I don't, I, I only know him as Tom Hanks. So yeah, I, it, yeah. There, there was no reason he was doing all kinds of drugs and stuff. Yeah. I was, I want to make a poster about this guy to stop kids from from uh, killing themselves because they're nerd and just like if you're going to make your way into the steam tunnels, it better to be to fucking slam dunk on a chick. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever been in steam tunnels? Oh yeah. Oh, it's great. Yeah, they're pretty neat. Yeah, uh, it's pretty cool. And I love how like every universe, university has them, and like mm-hmm. they're pretty easy to access for some reason. Yeah, you know, like I've you know a lot of people I know have, have been in steam tunnels at Northern Illinois University. Oh yeah, 
my, uh, uh, my my old middle school before uh, before we, we had a uh, uh, bus off to uh, like marching band gigs. Um, mm-hmm. I would I would sneak ladies into the steam tunnels for smooches. Yeah, yeah, steam smooches, high fives. Yeah. Let me see your steam box. <laughs> um, yeah. So the uh, yeah. So anyway, so th- this Poindexter killed himself because he had mental problems. What a dickhead idiot! <laughs> yeah, I know, right? And the the um, he probably needed it, help. Yeah, he probably needed drugs that didn't exist then. Maybe. <laughs> um, so anywho, he uh, but he it came out that he played Dungeons and Dragons. And uh, the investigators found this and kind of just theorized that that was at the center yeah. of it and mentioned that to the news media. And the news media being essentially the worst thing ever, as it always is, yeah. uh, just took that story and read with it, ran yeah. with it, you know. And uh, it came out, you know, this guy killed himself because he couldn't get out of the game and yeah. that he, uh, you know, he was too identified with his character too much. Yeah. Um, and that's none of that's true. Well, it's... Like, the narrative is o- is always taken over by the thing that is most unusual to the masses, right? Like, if this kid was abused, that happens all the time, tragic as it is. If this kid abused drugs, that happens all the yep. time, tragic as it is. But, you know, because Dylan Klebold paid, uh, played Doom, we had Bill exactly. Clinton getting on you know, Nickelodeon and saying we need to take control of these violent video games, right? Yeah. And he's yeah. never even played Doom. I know. Right? Mm. Um, yeah, it, it's the, yeah, exactly. think of the awesome ways he, that, that this Poindexter would have killed himself if he just played doom. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He should have waited like 15 years. Uh, <laughs> I like this new, like 30 years is, is the, the cutoff point you can make fun of people for killing themselves thing. It's something we should get some mileage out of. I'm going to oh. take a Wikipedia entry on death dates of, yeah. of notable Poindexters and just go to town. Yeah, no, we're, uh, we're, we're, we're still, we're still about like 11 years away from Kurt Cobain. So yeah, I know. Yeah. yeah. And then I guess maybe cause I was alive during that time and you know, a, a fan, maybe that'll never be funny to me. Yeah. Um, yeah, it'll just seem easy. It'll never be funny yeah. because it seems easy because I saw Flash games simulating it. Um, <laughs> so but, uh, simulating Kurt Cobain killing himself? Yeah, there was yeah. like there's yeah there have been like in the same way there are like Columbine Flash games. Yeah, there's yeah. that weird that weird crop of, of people trying to be dangerous on Congregate. Yeah, um, I mean Newgrounds Congregate. Newgrounds, yeah, there yeah. we go. Grounds, so I met. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so it's all nonsense. Yeah. But it caused this huge controversy. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and most famously, it came out as Mazes and Monsters. <laughs> Mazes and Monsters and that one exquisite chick tract. Yeah, exactly, which yeah. is great. And I should try to find a scan of it for the episode. Like, oh, it's it's out there, I assure you. The more difficult yeah. thing to find is an actual copy of it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah Dan Close did a, a, a brilliant parody of that that uh, chick tract, mm-hmm. of the D&D one. Yeah. So. That, that was tied up with a with kind of like a greater Satanism craze in the eighties too, from what yeah. I understand. I was only you know a toddler uh, for <laughs> I zero for large portions. I was, of yeah, yeah, I was zero for a large portion at best. A toddler for the eighties, <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, that, that, that's my understanding that like Satanism was kind of rolled up as a, as a general craze along with the rap music. Yeah, yeah, yep, yep. People were people were scared for some reason. Little 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 red guy with a pitchfork. Watch because, out! Because Jesus. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So and and that's no longer now we're now we're just scared of you know actually scary things like economics. Like um, no, like, it's a, ignorant people are still scared of Muslims. Gary, come that, on. That's true. Yeah, that's true. That's in some ways uh, well not worse, but anyway. Well, well, I mean, for humanity, it's worse that people are scared of that. Oh, then uh, the devil? <laughs> yeah, like like being scared of the devil. Like you hate like maybe like point five percent of the of the population. Being scared of Muslims makes you hate like 
15 to 20 percent of the population i guess like the the only i mean <laughs> I, I agree with that part of it but i guess the the one is extant and one of them isn't oh yeah you know whether yeah. it's 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 better to have a wrong belief about something that exists mm-hmm. or have a wrong belief about something that doesn't exist i suppose yeah yeah. yeah, and that's all your personal cosmology. I've been riding that atheism thing a lot real hard in the last couple episodes, so I apologize. Yeah, no, and, um, and, 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 de- and definitely, yeah. But I mean, just kind of like, oh no, I'm afraid of Satanism. So yeah, I'm I'm kind of falling in. I think we are we are saying the same thing. However, yeah. I I just want to uh, get in cheap shots at people who don't like Muslims. Yeah, that's that's stupid. Yeah. Like, <laughs> that I want to get in the... cheap shots, or that it's stupid. No, that people no, don't that like... it's stupid. Okay. That they, uh, yeah. Racism is stupid. You heard yeah. it here first, folks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Taking bold stances. <laughs> yeah. Next time, our next episode, we're going to talk about why world hunger is bad. Yep. Um, <laughs> but anyway, so the controversy is dumb and it's more or less died out. Yeah. Um, uh, do, do you so, want to hear something ridiculous, Gary? Yeah. Um, this, the, this eats in just a little bit to our personal story section. But uh, when I went to my Walden books in this year of our Lord, I believe 2003, I was a, I was a sophomore in high school to buy my third edition player's handbook. Mm-hmm. Um, I, like my grandma took me there and uh, she was she was fine, which is crazy because she is also uh, very religious, um, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I love my grandmother. She is the sweetest woman in the world. Um, but, um, I brought it back and I was like, Hey, can I, can I like hide this in the basement? Like where you live so that like nobody sees this because I feel a little bit ridiculous and kind of scared about bringing D and D into this house. And Mm -hmm. like, it's not a religious house. It wasn't (laughs) like, I like went to church maybe like four times a year. Yeah. (laughs) But still I was afraid of it because I was like, I don't want to make trouble. I don't want, I don't want no drama. Right. Yeah, well, you just the reputation preceded it. Yeah, yeah. And then any like if any of the people who were scared of Dungeons and Dragons like cracked open the book, yeah, it would just be like stats about grappling. <laughs> yeah, like, especially third edition. Like like have them read the grappling section and see if they're still scared. <laughs> exactly. Like, they, they might not want to play, but they won't be scared. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, grappling comes before Vecna, so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe if they read Vecna, it'd be like, ah, he's going to kill himself to Vecna. Oh, no, he's going to cut off his hand and try to make the hand of Vecna, yeah. I guess. I don't know. I didn't read this too closely. Blah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 That, that is funny. Yeah, it's it's a silly thing, and mm-hmm. it's largely uh, dead, but you still hear references to it. Yeah. Um, the dead alewives have their comedy bit with that, that Dungeon and Dragon Satan's game hmm. kind of thing that's been acted out a bunch. It was in the beginning of uh, Summoner for PS2, hmm. PS2 launch title. There's like an Easter egg. That's the characters from that game acting it out. Oh. Uh, they're very funny. I'll put them in the, the show notes. Dead Hell West, were those the uh, were those guys who did the uh, I cast, uh, cast Magic Missile at the Darkness? Yep. Okay, cool. You know who uh, who I just recently found out is in the was in the Dead Alewives? Oh. And I, I should double check this. Um, but I think Dan Harmon. Really? Of Community. And uh, Rob Schraub, who's the guy who did Sarah Silverman program and and various other things. I like both yeah. of those shows a lot. Yeah, yeah. Dan Harmon, who's you know kind of the comedy very, very popular right now. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, yeah. No, have you seen yeah. uh, Rick and Morty? Um, I haven't, but it looks sounds really up my alley. Oh, it's so good. Yeah. It's Justin Roiland. It's like Lemon Grab doing all the voices. That's it's great. great. <laughs> I'm I'm into that. Yeah, uh, uh, figure out a way to get on that because it's really really fucking good. Yeah, um, yeah. 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 So that's that's a real funny thing making fun of that and. You know, also a funny Dungeons and Dragons thing. Yeah. So there's a bunch of different editions yeah. of D&D that are kind of separated by things. We're just going to go through them briefly. Um, we each had the edition that we played a lot. Um, I have a little <laughs> bit of experience with all of them, though. Right. Um, partly because I took that class that we referenced. 
Um, so starting out with D&D, it, you know, it's based on the, the set rule that actually required Chainmail to play. Mm-hmm. Um, it had an alternate rule set in it that uh, ended up actually becoming the D&D rules. Right. But initially it was just like, if you want to play Chainmail with regular dudes mm-hmm. instead of units, this is what you do. Yeah. Um, so it required Chainmail just so you could have the miniatures in order to play it? So, so you could have the rules. Okay. The, the, the combat out of the box, they wanted you to use the combat from Chainmail. Okay. So, so, so it was like a mod. It was like a total conversion mod. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it was. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, the classes are dumb. <laughs> they have dumb names. Like so, races. Please were classes. read these. So like, yeah. So, so dwarf and elf. Those were classes. That's dumb. <laughs> However, the the three classes that you could be um, were fighting man, magic user, and cleric. <laughs> yeah. They got rid of magic user so late. <laughs> Like in, really? the, in the game, like before, yeah, because like fighting man disappeared really quick because it's, it's just like, well, you know what it sounds like, right? It sounds like a Soviet block equivalent of a tabletop game. Yeah, like, <laughs> exactly, like playing fighting man because because fighter sounds stupid. Yeah, like it already like they never got to a good name for that. Uh-huh. Like there's tons of good words for like a warrior, you know, <laughs> oh, such, like, such as warrior, such as warrior. Yeah, yeah, like yeah fighting yeah. man. Uh-huh. Like, uh. Just, just call, like, call him, like, a marshalist or something. Like, Yeah, you can't define a person by what he happens to be doing at the time you look at him. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man, drinking man. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, a bunch of my buddies are saving up money to go down to drinking man this year. <laughs> um, the, the, but the... Uh, the and and original D&D, so I talked a little bit about the how, you know, it's real plunder base. Uh-huh. Um, there's less of it than there is in AD&D. Like, there's just, it's just simpler and kind of shittier. Um, combat's done by a chart. Um, when you roll stats, like, they introduce the rules later where you can kind of move your stats around. Mm-hmm. Um, the game we played about this, played with this, I was trying to really emphasize that point. So, um, you know, we had to go get the wizard's crown or what have you. And I made the the people there, the goblin tower where the players went, um, you know, not aggressive in any way. Like right. they were just told there was treasure there. That was enough reason to go kill it. And I put lots of families of, of goblins in there Jeez. and they got experience points for all of them. <laughs> and then, uh, they was guarded. They were guarding a blind beholder who thought that he had all these treasures, but they weren't. So he thought he had like a bag of holding, but it was just a bag with a hole in the bottom. <laughs> and, uh, and he had, you know, this, this sword they thought was a vorpal sword. And it was all shitty. And, uh, and that was it. Like it was, I just wanted to really, drive home you are doing violence for only reasons that are in the game you know Mm -hmm. there's no narrative reason for anything you're doing um and make it as stupid and meaningless as the original dnd more or less was um the other thing was uh the wizard in the party got like a four intelligence (laughs) um, on their on her role and uh and just went with it so she knew sleep as the spell and then she made it that was the only word she knew as well (laughs) so she just like went around yelling sleep and sometimes it worked and sometimes it didn't um, which is pretty fun. That's pretty good. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it, it's pretty bad. There's also, I, in the original tournaments of D&D, mm-hmm. they used to play with a dungeon master, you know, tons of players, like 15, and there'd be a caller. There used to be a position in this game called a caller. Like and he in would, bingo? He would, well, he was kind of like a representative for the player party. Okay. And he would get a consensus from everybody, and he would be the only person who talked to the DM. Wrap yeah. your mind around how weird that is. And... and <sighs> So, so it's oh. like diplomacy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, just like, like, like literally, that's what diplomacy is, except yeah. with less dice. Yeah, or with more dice, rather. Yep. Yeah, yeah. That's a old old D anD D used to be like that, especially at like mm-hmm. the, or the tournaments. 
yeah. and stuff. So, and, and like I could see like this set of rules being more numerically based or dice roll based being you know like a like more tournament worthy. I can't imagine a third edition D and D tournament. Well, they do. But they do it. They do. There are tournament. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. There. There that's are. My, that's my ignorance. So. Yeah. yeah, I mean, they just judge you, and they judge you on different things. So it's not yeah. just you know all numbers; it's just how well you play, and and also if you succeed. Best you know, British be... accents. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> no, everyone knows elves are British and, and dwarves are Irish. So. Um, uh, Scottish. So, <laughs> Scottish. There we go. Who, what kind of heathen does a Scot? Does an Irish dwarf? Fuck. <laughs> Halflings are Scottish, Gary. Well, that's what, that's why I can't. Uh, I'll never win that tournament. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. So AD and D came after that. Yeah. Um, which introduced a lot of pretty important things. Mostly it did away with all the chain mail. Yeah. And, uh, and there were no, uh, no more fighting men. Mm-hmm. And uh, it kind of biggest contribution was alignment. Earlier than that, there was just lawful, neutral, and chaotic. Yeah. And this introduced the kind of three by three grid that we've all come to know and love. Yeah. Like the, the nerd Myers-Briggs test. <laughs> that it is. <laughs> So, I love that. And, and Myers Briggs test is already pretty fucking annoying and nerdy, but this is the uh, the nerdier version of that. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, and I love alignment. Like it's such a like it's such a I describe things as that, mm-hmm. which it makes me sound worse and stupider than I am. <laughs> like more well, let's, let, than I am, let, let, let's just let everybody else decide that. Yeah, let you guys all decide if I'm a stupid idiot, <laughs> and I'll just keep doing what I'm doing. <laughs> But like I've I've said like I've felt like something was lawful evil before and mm-hmm. that makes a sense to me I don't know like it just you know it's a good shorthand for yeah for an act yeah and yeah. you know it's it's all that stuff <laughs> all of that stuff is shorthand Myers Briggs yeah. horoscope whatever it's yeah, like exactly. you you yeah. you are you are relying on common social knowledge and you know or at least common to the circle that you're in to uh to to, to use that as a starting point yeah. for conversation you can't really categorize a person right like as much as these things make you but you can categorize a D and D character yeah. Um, yeah. After this came basic set, which mm-hmm. is essentially just a more basic set, yeah. all in one box, and these kind of went on parallel paths for a little while, as I mentioned. So the AD and D path and the basic path, um, the basic path, which has kind of fallen, you know, it didn't have as much success or as many products yeah. for. It. I like the idea of the basic set, though, like of something that you can just buy as a starter. Yeah, um, and just kind of play real quick. It's really neat, just like a like, like a box kind of thing. Like it, it turns it into a board game. It's the it's the home version of Jeopardy, right? Yep. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But, uh, yeah, second edition, that was where the, uh, that was the, uh, the real meat, right? Yeah. Second edition is where a lot of people who I hang in, that's where I first started playing in the, all the people. Wise, right. Yeah. Age group wise. Um, and it was, is what, you know, one of the most, you know, popular is kind of like, uh, a tentpole for it. And it's what I think eventually led to the collapse because they had a bigger user base and, and, uh, you know, trying to support that and capitalize on it, but it was very popular. Um, had the, you know, the three basic books and everything like that, they all did, um, introduced some ideas that are really good and some of them are, are not so good and, and remove those controversial elements, all the demons and such mm-hmm. where we're gone. So demons, devils, naked ladies with snake bottoms, <laughs> all that stuff. What was that? What was that horrible book? The, uh, the book of, uh, um, it's like flesh pleasures or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's like the book of erotic something yeah, something like there's, that there's like, a D rule book for for sex stuff yeah if uh if someone picks it up as a joke leave <laughs> and then if someone picks it up for serious you you'll never see that because it's never been, you know because you, you're listening to the show and i trust you um like, <laughs> I, doubt, I downloaded a pdf of it off of like napster when i was 14 because 14 yeah um, 
<laughs> but yeah. like, yeah, it's it, it's good that at the very least, officially, they tried to expunge that stuff from it. Yeah, I don't um, like I don't want sex in any of my gaming, really. Nope. Like, it's so rare. I Like, I can count on, you know, it, it, I can't even think of an example right now that's been done well in video games. Mm hmm. Like it just like I don't I don't need that like I don't want to have that intersection really no you know and uh, I definitely don't want it in a tabletop game where I'm talking to one of my friends <laughs> yeah we're, we're where you like, have to be in the same room you don't have that antisocial modern distance that you have behind a screen yeah. Yeah, yeah, like I can do something alone, you know, and, and look at like I'm fine with porn, but I just don't need it. I just don't need it to cross with my with my gaming by any yeah. means. That's crazy to me. Mm -hmm. It's gross. Yeah. Um, but uh, second yeah. edition had the longest reign, I think, or one yeah. of the longest reigns. Yeah, um, second edition went on for a long time. Yeah, yeah, from '89 to 2000. So yeah, so yeah. huge. Like this was D and D for a really long time. Yeah. Um, Airdus Thaco, which is one of those like awesomely, you know, nonsensical. <laughs> rules that like once you get it it makes sense and but it takes a long time to figure out yeah um but that that went away which i think is actually good yeah. um the biggest i like i would i'm making my case that the the biggest change that happened in these editions um for the better <laughs> was in second edition which was introducing non-combat uh proficiencies oh yeah which i think like allows you kind of space to tell different kinds of stories mm -hmm. so like if i had a character formerly all he could be good at was daggers like i'm just going to stab stuff Right. But if I have a character that can cook and can haggle and do all these things, you start getting better, you know, more three-dimensional characters yeah. within the game space, within the game rules. It leaves less to the discretion of the DM, um, mm -hmm. and it uh, leaves less to kind of the, the, the whim and caprice and, uh, let's say, ephemera of a session. And it kind of fits into, you know, that which is measured gets done. Right. Like yep. if you can measure your ability, you know, to saute a mushroom, maybe you're going to be able to win over this kobold with totally. your sauteed mushrooms. Right. Yeah. Like that, that, that becomes a viable option because you have invested your limited resources in, uh, in that. Right. Right. Within the game. So it's still up to the DM whether he was going to allow that kind of BS, mm -hmm. you know, like whether he like that specifically the impressing a kobold with a sauteed mushroom, like being able to like, you know, cook something very nice for somebody and win a, a you know, a <laughs> encounter like makes sense. Yeah. Um, the uh, So it's up to them whether they want to do it. But now it existed. That's always been true. Right. So you could always just like throw it out there and be like, eh, can I do this? Yeah. And they'd probably say like, oh, it's a dexterity check or something like that. Yeah. Um, but now there are rules for for making this thing happen. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and that, I always thought that was great. Like I, you know, my characters had the dumbest fucking proficiencies and things that had nothing to do with, you know, we never encounter, you know, I always had them. And the, my best of this era, my best gaming experiences were with people who made those things come up. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a good rule. If you're, if you're playing a tabletop game, like if your players have a, a, a skill, you need to make sure they use it. Right. You know? Um, and then this like just widen that quite a bit and so, going, go, going back to the waff axioms respect your players choices right yeah exactly yeah exactly like it, it's it'd be weird if you you know played a video game where your character can jump and there's never anything to jump over mm -hmm. you know um this is the same, same basic thing if you have a character who's legend you know has a legendary skill in cooking um you know you may as well uh you know, give him a, a you know a cooking contest every once in a while, or have yeah. him you even you know have him use it to, to to slip some poison into something. Yeah, you know, like it can be something more. It could be uh, violent. Kind of, it can yeah, it can be violent and gamey, but just have it you know increase that verb set. Yeah, and so. and what that does, it feels like it shifts the power between the between the uh, dungeon master and the player. 
Yep. Whereas the DM had, you know, ultimate say over everything, you know, the player could have, you know, a certain amount of agency and player having agency is always a good thing. Yep. Right? It makes it more, more collaborative in a game that is uh, really <laughs> not like very asynchronous as far yeah. as the, the power balance. And that's something that um, in that class I took and also in reading I've done is a big thing in kind of tabletop RPG theory. And there's a huge wave of games that are collaborative, and they're games that put the player, the players in power as opposed to the the dungeon master mm-hmm. through different kind of rules where they you know they make it up as they go along, yeah. And you are just you are literally there to kind of referee and voice things that aren't them it's, as a DM. It's very much like uh, theological in that: Do you believe in an all powerful force that dictates everything, or do you believe in an all powerful force that is the uh, that is the arbiter of natural rules that have been set out? Right. Yep. Yeah. 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 And it's interesting just the way that's evolved based on, you know, you can make a little change like this mm-hmm. and it just, it can really change the, the kind of play style. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Second so. edition was, uh, w- w- was big stuff. I played a little bit of that, uh, but most of my um, play uh, was in third edition just because of the time in which I grew up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Which I've only played 3.5. I've never played third edition. Straight. Oh, really? Yeah. So I played uh, mostly third edition. I, I do have all the books for 3.5, and we did a little bit of it. Uh, the distinction between the two of them is not that great. I think that uh, most of the changes had to do with specific class balance. Um, 3.5 was more engineered to add in like supplemental books, um, mm-hmm. like uh, uh, for specific classes and such, and uh, like prestige classes were much more of a thing. Um, well, they introduced in third edition prestige classes. I think. Yeah. 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 Uh, so they expanded it. So 3.5 is definitely uh, like probably the beginning of Wizards is trying to do a money grab, blah, 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 expansion pack, etc. I like yeah. 3.5 a lot, um, but uh, but just because it did stuff with, you know, attacks of opportunity, etc., initiative, mm-hmm. blah. It, it's interesting because it, it's more like you kind of need miniatures to play 3.5. Yeah. I mean, to, to take advantage of it. Like it's moving things towards back kind of towards the the, the chainmail sort mm-hmm. of roots to make it a little bit more tactical without yeah. necessarily getting rid of anything yeah. you know so it's it's made because two two second edition doesn't play well with miniatures really right in my experience like everything's a little bit hazy there's a lot of uh you know the number of actions you get there's weapon speed factors and it's it's just too complicated yeah. whereas third edition and 3.5 play really well with miniatures and without yeah. So you kind of have these encounters that are combat based where you break them out and then dialogue parts where you're act you know, you're you're role playing. Yeah. You have different play screens. Um, yeah. really, which is, you know, are you are you in a tavern or are you in a dungeon and you know, is your position relevant to the way things are going to shake out? Right. Yeah. I think a big part of that is, you know, third edition was really the the, the big introduction of D twenty, which I really, really like D twenty oh, system. Great. Oh God, D twenty. When uh, when uh, when we play, when I run a game, even like right now, I'm just kind of doing a, a home brew, brew thing, and I almost didn't make up rules for it. It's just like, well, it's D twenty. Let's use character sheets from just about anything, mm-hmm. and we'll just use this to to see how well you do. Yeah, you know, like D twenty is really elegant, and as much as Wizards did that kind of cash grab, uh, D twenty is kind of an open license thing. Yeah, like yeah. or like you know, companies can can use that. Yeah, there was like a and, Star Wars D twenty, which is actually yeah. pretty good. Yeah, I played um, Call of Cthulhu D twenty as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so the uh, uh, you know, in one way they were very giving, mm-hmm. and uh, and that was great. You know, because D twenty it's very it makes tons of sense. Yeah, it's yeah. it's like just the right level of granularity, right? Yeah. Like so, you have everything in five percent increments, and uh, you go to town. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. Um, that went away, <laughs> or it still continued. They kind of took that to a conclusion I don't like very much in fourth edition. 
in some bit, ways. Yeah. So like I still like the so fourth edition had two as far as I can see two really big changes. Um, one is that uh, it did away with saving throws. Um, it used to be you'd get hit with a spell and you'd make a saving throw. You'd yeah. have a stat like how good am I at resisting poison? You know what have you? Death magic. You know, um, and uh, now you just have a bunch of different armor classes, essentially. So, and not not, not actually a bunch. You just have uh, uh, three, I think. Mm-hmm. Four, you know, four fortitude, wisdom, reflex, and um, just a straight up armor class. Yeah. And so everything just becomes a d twenty roll, as opposed to kind of having this, uh, you know, this little kind of special thing. Like when you get hit with magic, it felt a little special. Now there's really nothing to differentiate an acid arrow versus a regular arrow. Like you're still just making a roll. You're still just making it versus a, you know, an armor class. It just Mm -hmm. does damage, you know? And, and that kind of ties into the other change, which was giving everybody these kind of abilities with an MMO style recharge. Like these Mm -hmm. things I can use once per encounter. These I can use once per day. These one, you know, once an hour. I don't think there are once an hour ones, but the, uh, and it made it feel very, uh, made everything feel a lot more samey to me. Yeah. You know, like, uh, you know, wizards had more spells, but if like a, a, a wizard can do, you know, shoot an arrow and then the rogue has like a knife throw ability and they both do the same amount of damage and you roll the same dice versus, you know, ostensibly like one is versus your wisdom stat and one's versus your reflex stat, but they are effectively the same. It's like, it's less fun to me. Mm-hmm. Like some of the, they went too far in balancing things where some of that imbalance was really fun because some characters would be better for certain situations, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, 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 and just in general, I feel like overbalance can just kill a game. Yeah, I think so too. Like it's, just, and I don't have tons of experience with it. I played a couple fourth edition games, and I played a, a bunch of Gamma World, yeah. which is the the same engine. But um, yeah. it's uh, it's I don't I don't really like it. And some there's some, probably somebody out there who really loves it who mm-hmm. will who will you know kind of talk back about this, but. It's it's weird because like it seems like it streamlines uh, streamlines the experience in a lot of ways, but like complexifies it in another. I know complexify is not a word, um, but yeah. uh, like I read the uh, you know the the, the rule books for that cover to cover, and I was mostly turned off by the Eberron world, which it was oh, really, yeah. really linked to. Um, yeah. But uh, but yeah, just like I never found myself with an opportunity to play it. And I'm not sure if it's like Tony Hawk syndrome, where the one that you find is the perfect one, as a you know, as opposed to everything that comes after it, which is bullshit. But, yeah, I don't uh, know but, if it's that for me either. Yeah, yeah. So. so it's it's hard to say. Like there could be awesome things about it, but uh, the MMOification, like I'm I'm not sure if the sacrifices they made in uh, in the name of simplicity outweigh the uh, the, the the various miniature based complexities that they added into it. Right. Yeah. Yep. And Eberron, we'll talk about in a minute. We're going to talk about sec- you know uh, settings, mm-hmm. but Eberron, I think, is a, a real nightmare. <laughs> it's you know yeah. Ugh. Yeah. Um, so settings, D and D. You know, there's the rules, and then they also introduced like a lot of essentially just places to to put these. Um, you know, people can make up their own. That's always been an option. But if you didn't want to do that, um, these were all you know fantasy writers, like you know people at, at the same time who were making fantasy stories and fantasy settings, yeah. and uh, and introduced those. And kind of in that '90s era, before it got, you know, too big and probably part of it getting too big, they had this really imaginative streak that's that's really great. So the first major setting uh, that was brought in with uh, first edition, you know, uh, the regular OD&D and uh, AD&D was Greyhawk. And this was kind of backward applied to, uh, to everything that came out before that. So everything that is not in another setting was assumed to be in Greyhawk itself, which was uh, Gijax's uh, personal campaign setting. 
than yep. the one that he laid out for himself. Yep. Yeah, he played this, and and a lot of the big players in this were based on characters that his friends had made and he right. had made. So like Big B, we talked about last episode. <laughs> um, <laughs> Morden Kanan, uh, Tenzer Vecna, all those second edition spells, you know, Morden Kanan's faithful watchhound was mm-hmm. based on an actual watchhound, probably, that mm-hmm. Gary Gygax's friend made up. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I the, the, uh, all that stuff. That, I love that idea of like a personal thing turning into a pantheon. Yeah. Like it's so cool. Yeah, me too. Yeah. I'm, I'm way into it. Um, it's mostly pretty generic medieval fantasy, which makes sense for, uh, you know, the kind of the original. Yeah. Thing. Be- because this was the bridge from you know, uh, Tolkien to games. So, yeah. 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 And you'll see, it takes them a little while to, to really get out of that and do start kind of messing with the formula. Yeah. Um, it did birth a lot of, um, kind of modules and dungeons that are infamous. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which are really cool. Yeah. So specifically like the tomb of horrors, which, uh, underlined guy style of, uh, of, uh, DMing, which yeah. was traps, 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 yeah. traps. Yeah, yeah, Sun's Fortress for Miles. <laughs> and then the uh, the Temple of Elemental Evil, um, which is, was a similar, like, really hard thing. I had that book. I never ran it. Oh, yeah? I just read it. Yeah. I, I found it in some thrift store and, and read it. And it was really fun to read because it's it's pretty imaginative, mm-hmm. some, of, some of the traps that came out. Yeah. Um, Dragonlance kind of comes next, which yes. is uh, done Kr- the Kryn. primary voices. Yeah, Kryn. Yep. Uh, Margaret and Tracy Weiss, which uh, Tracy's a guy. Yep. So it's, it's, not a, it's, Refer- it's only half as progressive as you think it is. Re- referencing one of one of our weird, like, Let's Plays that we did when I was there two years ago. Yeah. Like, yeah. I thought that Tracy was a woman. Yep. yep. Oh, well. The, uh, yeah, and it's it's essentially these these two people came up with this idea, um, like, what if a, what is a world ruled by dragons look like? Mm-hmm. Um, and this is where the, the fiction really came in. Yeah. So they, they wrote a lot of books set in this this novel that yeah. uh, I think that we both read. Oh yeah, like I read yeah. the shit out of those in like middle yeah. school. It was uh it was definitely a mainstay for me. In fact, I read up to the ones that were published very very like modernly. So mm-hmm. like I stopped before like Dwarves of Summer Underground or something like that. <laughs> but like I got through the next generation, right? I, and, I, and I remember none of it. <laughs> I I think I only read the, the the twins trilogy. Yeah, yeah. But I remember really liking it. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, like yeah, Ra- like, pretty... like Rasslin and Caramon are pretty good. Like yeah, those are cool characters. Uh-huh. Um, and there's a little bit of a twist. Like there aren't uh, halflings. There are Kenders, which are more annoying halflings. <laughs> yeah, like um, just compulsive thieves as opposed yeah. to um, you know just affect- yep. affectation, right? Yep. Yeah. Um, next comes the Forgotten Realms, um, yes. which. Again, like there's, you know, it's really big and there's a lot of fiction, but there's not too much to differentiate it from, say, like a Greyhawk. Yeah, like you know? th- this was the Greyhawk of second edition, right? Yeah, like that, this, that's this, definitely true. This was the one that the bulk of the fiction that came out of D and D came from, and you know, stuff that we reference as touch points, you know, Icewind Dale, Baldur's Gate, anything yep. written by R. A. Salvatore. <laughs> Yeah, right. it's gold, gold, gold. Yep, no, um, and I read a all. bunch of it. I read a bunch I, I, of that I, shit. I just, yeah, I, for some reason, I don't know why, but like even in the time I was reading these, I thought the Dragonlance books were cool, but I thought R.A. Salvatore was bad. Yeah, this is not based on anything. I'm not making fun of you, uh-huh. like in retrospect. No, I've read both, just, so you could only half make fun of me. Yeah, so <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not even doing that. I just I, at the time I had that impression, and I yeah. never quite shook it off, even if I don't think it now. Like now, I probably don't want to read either. Oh no. Yeah, but like but whereas Dragonlance was kind of like if you look back on it, it's kind of a rote, um, it's kind of a rote interpretation of an actual play session. Mm-hmm. Like like any anything that R.A. Salvatore writes is kind of just him really liking writing about sword fights. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, Drizzt. Drizzt? Drizzt. Yes, Drizzt. Drizzt de Erden. Yes. But, yeah. uh, like, you know, you know, and it gave, uh, like, I like the Dark Elves as a thing, and the whole yeah. uh, the whole Underdark is pretty cool with your illithids well, the, and such. The thing with the Drow is that it gives you Driders. Yep. <laughs> and Driders, or Centaur Spiders. Those uh-huh. are badass. Um, and the, the, the kind of the big things that, that set this apart, so it had very beautiful, elaborate maps. Mm-hmm. So it had, I don't know if it's the first time that happened, but it was known for that. Um, and then Elminster, who... Um, there's kind of an interesting story in a, in a book I have about D&D about he, the, uh, the guy who created the Forgotten Realms wanted to be able to introduce a little bit more nuance to the game. You know, previous to this, it was really standard to say there are, you know, six orcs guarding this, this thing, you know, mm-hmm. uh, you're, you're in the tavern, he'll go kill the six orcs. And he wanted to introduce essentially an unreliable narrator. Like the entire idea was they wanted to have somebody say something that wasn't true. Which is a weird thing to you know not have presumed, but this is kind of the origin of that in D anD D was having this old man who's kind of a lech and kind of a I don't actually don't know if he's a lech, um, but he's kind of just a you know old rapscallion Gandalf style character um, who might say, well, there's some trouble along the way, but you'll deal with it, mm-hmm. and then have the players be surprised by there are in fact six orcs, <laughs> um, you know, which is which is pretty neat, yeah. you know, and he kind of became the spokesman of uh, of this oh. this setting, yeah. Like and so, in in fairness, you know a little bit of the stuff that came out of the came out of the Forgotten Realms, like R.I. Salvatore, uh, Salvatore stuff, like uh, uh, gosh, Artemis and Treri, uh as uh, as like the assassin character, and uh, oh gosh, what's the what's the other dark elf that uh, that is the crazy crazy swashbuckler rogue type guy? I kind of like oh, yeah. the books that revolved mm-hmm. around him, but uh, but yeah, I forget his name. So you see how much that. Uh, when, and until a cursory Google search revealed, I thought that uh, the cleric quintet was about uh, Elbinster, but actually it wasn't. Oh. So, yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So, yep, yep. yeah, that's about how disposable all this stuff is. But still, yep. Forgotten Realms, huge, huge uh, part of anything we talk about related to and, D&D. Yeah. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be really big in the second part when we talk about those games that it's based on. Yeah, yeah. Um, next up, we're talking about Mistara, yeah. which is... The arcade yeah, games. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, that's the only thing I played with them. Uh-huh. In it. it's uh the idea was that it was really high adventure and kind of you know daring escapes characters that are a little bit more indestructible as opposed to a low fantasy it, there were airships and it's stuff. almost like a final fantasy is ification yeah. of D a little bit i don't yeah. know if that's because of the because of the airships or what but yeah yeah that's fair yeah. um and the uh and it, it's the default setting for the basic set so which is probably why i never played it because i didn't play basic like set. yeah yeah um spell jammer is never, a thing. never played any of that. Yeah, I've I think heard I about think a reputation, but like so, yeah. so what? This is like sci-fi. Yeah, it's D and D with um with ships that are powered by magic, Ugh. and the idea is a lot of the races and stuff are you know come from different planets. So you might go to a planet that's full of beholders, a planet full, that's full of mind flayers. Oh, so it's like what Warcraft became. Yeah, I, I yeah. <laughs> okay. Yep. Yep. The uh, this this always seemed dumb, dumb to me. Like I have the um, the first module that has sci-fi elements is actually really cool. Okay, because it involves like a spa- uh, crash spaceship, and mm-hmm. the characters don't know what it is. You yeah. know, which that's pretty cool because to you it could just be an ancient artifact, yeah, um, or whatever. But when you start making that commonplace, like you have characters that have stats and mm-hmm. you know spell jamming, which is just piloting a, a spaceship. Yeah. I just that it always felt like to me like like square peg round hole kind of yeah. situation. I like the idea of fantasy fantasy becoming sci-fi. 
Um, you oh, know, yeah. it, it's something that works awesome in uh, the Dark Tower. Um, and even in the Pern books, like I loved that moment when it turned, but everything after it, it, it went from fantasy to sci-fi was mm-hmm. less satisfying than the actual reveal that this was so far in the future that it was the past. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And that's not even what's going on here. Like, this is just, you know, it's a setting. So it's, there probably isn't, I'm sure, I mean, there are novels and there's a narrative to it, but essentially as a setting, it's pretty, I think it's pretty dumb. Yeah. Can we talk about Uh, Ravenloft now? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. God, I love Ravenloft. Yeah. Ravenloft gets really excellent. Like, Ravenloft is really cool. And we're, we're, we're in for a treat for these next couple of ones because this is, I think, the high point of them coming up with, with supplemental material and, and settings. Um, so this is the, the horror setting. And one of the cool things about it is that it's not like a separate world that you just play in. Yeah. It exists alongside all of the other worlds. Mm-hmm. So they introduced this whole multiverse thing. Yeah. And, uh, and what happens is the, uh, the colorless deep fog sets in the Boletaria. <laughs> and then when it leaves, you are in a different place. Right. So you don't have to deal with the, you know, the party meeting in a tavern. As long as they're in the St. Yo, they can just be summoned to this place and be an outsider right from the start in like essentially like a, uh, think, um, like villages and torches and, and picks kind of Transylvanian horror. Yep. Yeah. Transylvanian horror. Mm -hmm. Um, and there's, uh, there's kind of like micro realms within it where like if a being became strong enough, they became the, the regent of that area. Yeah, and uh, and they would influence it. So if they, you know, their values would influence what kind, what it was, you know, what the, what the town was like or what the the country mm-hmm. was like. Yeah, it was really versatile. Like you could make whatever you want. If you had a cool idea for a villain, mm-hmm. what what would his city look like? He can exist in Ravenloft just perfectly and interact with all these cool Ravenloft things. Various skeleton lords. Yeah. Yes, there were probably yeah, nothing <laughs> like skeleton lords. <laughs> like, yeah, no, but it yep. feels like uh, it, it, it almost feels like. Did you ever play uh, the Shivering Isles for uh, Oblivion? Uh, no, I, I never actually did. I always Ooh. play through Oblivion and try to do the um, the, the vanilla quest uh-huh. and get through it and then get bored by the end and not, don't want to play Oblivion anymore. Yeah, yeah, no. Uh, if you, if you get a chance, uh, it's it's a lot to ask. But Shivering Isles feels a very uh, very much like Ravenloft does. Oh, which yeah, is that's... like a realm that is ruled over by one of these Daedric Lords of Madness. So you have kind of the two sides, yeah. which are chaos and order. Um, and yeah, that, that that's like the closest video game approximation to a, to a Ravenloft campaign. Right. That's really cool. Yeah. yeah. I should, I should seek that out. Yeah. Do you, do you happen to know, and it'd be weird if you did, if you can just start it or do I have to get to like level 60 or whatever to do it? Uh, I think that, uh, like if you load a game with it, with it, uh, installed, like you're, you're, you're better set up for, for success if you're a little bit higher level, but it's at elder scrolls. So it's scroll, yeah, it, so it, it, it yeah. scales with you. So yeah. I think that like, if you, if you just got whatever equipment you wanted and ran there, um, would be you okay. would, you, you'd be perfectly fine. Yeah. So, so yeah. But yeah, I, I actually played uh, a fair amount of uh, Ravenloft. David from the level, he was a big fan mm-hmm. of uh, Ravenloft oh, yeah. back when we were uh, playing in high school. And um, yeah, that was uh, that that was always a treat. Yeah, Ravenloft um, is great. Yeah. Um, the uh, next up I, is a game I never played, but I'm going to get the chance to, mm-hmm. uh, which is really cool. Um, Levi is going to run something in this at some point. Uh, Dark Sun, which is the uh, post-apocalyptic D and D setting. <laughs> Um, you know, all deserts and, and you know, harsh uh, cragscapes and such. Yeah. And there are dumb things about it um, because one of the big races are Thrykreen, which are these mm-hmm. stupid, uh, you know, praying mantis men. Yeah. Um, and there With are psionics. psionics. Yep. Yeah. <sighs> With just magic. 
but it does have asymmetrical <laughs> haircuts, so Cole hates it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> has asymmetrical haircuts and skin gems. Yeah, skin gems. Um, it, and that what I mean, what Psyonix actually that was introduced in the main game earlier. Yeah, and it's a, it's a different way of do, uh, keeping track of magic, like magic points, as opposed to a number of memorizations a day. Mm-hmm. It was that was the kind of the point of that, I think. Um, but yeah, Psyonix, which is dumb. But the cool thing about Dark Sun is it's super brutal. Is the idea so like? You start out, and you're supposed to start your characters as shitty as possible with, like, no equipment or equipment made of, like, bone and rock. And it, you know, does no damage. Yeah. And when you're, you know, your character, like, you can go through, you know, a, a, a whole campaign and the prize could be, like, two daggers. And that's great. Right. You know? Um, and it's just this real, real brutal disempowerment, which I'm always into in a game. Yeah. You know, I like things to be hard. So it's like D&D the road. Yeah. 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 Um, Al I never played, but it's the Arabian Nights yeah, setting. Yeah, no, yeah. I never. Yeah, I'm not that, that. I'm not that interested. It doesn't feel like D and D. No, to me, you know. Um, I mean, it's, it's like, just in, like okay. So take the rules for scimitars and make that a whole book. Well, you could also, you, yeah, exactly. I could already use scimitars. I could already mm-hmm. summon genies. Yeah, yeah. Like the um, like a freet are in the monster manual, dude. So yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but then we get into what I think is the greatest D and D setting. Um, which is Planescape. Whoop, whoop. Uh, yep, which we we talked about in the Torment episode. Mm-hmm. Um, and the my favorite D and D campaign I've ever played was in uh, was a very long running Planescape uh, campaign, which is only about a year. Like you hear these people who do these ten year things, but yeah. we played we played Planescape for about a year um, last year, and it's great. It's like full full of imagination. Um, you know the, and I think one of the reasons why is it has a real sense of authorship to it, while also allowing for anything the same way Ravenloft does. Mm-hmm. So you know, if you wanted to, you could get teleported to Ravenloft from from Planescape very easily, or to any of these other settings, or the elemental plane of Salt, or to any you know any number of things. It all exists, yeah. and it's it's kind of uh, signified by the city uh, called Sigil, um, mm-hmm. which is the. Uh, you know, just kind of what what would the city look like that was the crossroads of all these things? Right. Um, I love very, Planescape very cool. because it just just it, it is it is metafiction embodied. Yeah. Right. Like. Yeah. Mm, so good. It's also. I mean, it's also. It doesn't hurt that it's the setting of the best video game ever based on Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> yeah, that's you know? that's so. true. But like, I I, I liked Planescape even even before I was aware Me that too. Torment was a thing. Part of it's you the know? art. Like uh, Tony yeah. Dutorelzi is the guy who does all the the set art for it. Who has a real unique style? It does not look swords and sorcery at all. It's like scratchier, and things are more gaunt, and um, you know, it doesn't look heroic. Yeah, and uh, that helped a lot. And, and you know, this is one of my peculiarities as you know somebody who consumes D and D related literature. But I always like the cosmologies. Like this oh, is yeah. the plane of fire. This is you know so and so, and the way that those things interact um, is always really interesting to me. Until you get into the astral plane, uh, which is the area of psionics, and therefore, <laughs> <laughs> well, you, well, the factions and stuff are really cool too. Oh, yeah. The idea yeah. that like yeah, they, these are people who because like the whole the central idea of Planescape is that belief is power. Uh-huh. So you know, uh, if enough people believe that you can will yourself into a god, mm-hmm. it becomes true. And then there are people who believe that, and that's what they pursue. Mm-hmm. And enough people believe that, you know, when we die, we just, you know, go away, and that's what we should seek. Then it becomes mm-hmm. true. Like, whatever, you know, yeah. you believe becomes true. Um, yeah. The uh, the game we played in this, I ended up doing, um, taking advantage of the fact that everything exists. And because I'm me, did a, a Cthulhu Mythos-based 
thing and, and played yeah. essentially the character I wanted to have become uh, like the guy who wrote The King in Yellow. Okay. In, in that. So I became the, you know, the person who's, who's touched by Haster and is a, is a playwright who's gone crazy hmm. and stuff. It was also the, my only experience being totally cross-party. Like I, w- I was the villain of that campaign. Oh, wow. Um, you know, in, in the end and uh, ended up dicking people over pretty good. Um, did not actually end up, uh, you know, accomplishing all my goals, but, uh, you know, fuck some shit up. So yeah. it was very fun. Um, then Eberron, which we talked about. Yeah. It's the fourth edition one. It's steampunk. There are Warforged, which essentially are just like giant golems that talk like data. Like they're real, like, what yeah. is this thing called? Love. Um, that's stupid. Yeah. And then uh, Karator, which is the Oriental Adventures, which is what it was called. Yep. Uh, I'm uh, being racist. I played it. I played it once. Oh, yeah. Like that was just I, I, like like there was an Oriental Adventures uh, source book as late as third edition, which is yeah. crazy weird. But yeah. yeah. Asian Adventures, guys. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> Rug um, Adventures. There we yeah, go. Yeah. There we go. Um, but yeah, I just that doesn't seem again. It doesn't feel very D&D to me. Yeah. You know. Um. But yeah, so that's I think that's what we're going to say about the actual game itself. Mm-hmm. It's a long time, so this is going to be a long episode. <laughs> but uh, hopefully, that's a good good primer for you. Um, how did you get into D and D, Cole? I was way big into video games before I ever played D and D. Um, I can't say like what the specific impetus was, but I found enough friends in high school uh, via the people that I sat with at lunch and through like show choir and stuff to be like, hey, let's buy some D&D books and play that because we all play video games. We all like talking about these things. Uh, we would like to have a social activity uh, to have together. Uh, so me mm-hmm. and my, my buddy Kyle and my buddy uh, David were like, hey, let's buy these things. And, uh, yeah, we started meeting on Saturdays and uh, playing that. And that was uh, specifically third edition. And it was real cool because our uh, our buddy Kyle, his dad, also was real into the stuff. So sometimes he uh, sometimes he sat in and uh, gave us uh, gave us some good advice. Yeah, That's, like, the only reason I wish I had a kid right now. Like, I've thought about <laughs> how much I want to be, like, a cool D&D dad. Yeah? Yeah. Like, that would be, like, right now, if I, you know, if I had a kid today, like, I'd probably be pretty old by that point. But, like, <laughs> being, you know, being, like, playing with a bunch of, you know, Cool fourteen year olds, yeah. As, as you know, Good, my cool, son is quote, yeah, unquote, cool. cool. <laughs> yeah, like you know, like, like like that just seems like a cool thing to do with your kids uh-huh. to me, and and just you know, dorky in a way that is, I have a lot of affection for and uh-huh. kind of melts my heart a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. So so we, so we played for like a good solid like two years or so I think and mm-hmm. uh, like occasionally I got wrapped up in a rougher crowd of self described anarchists. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the the, the the two groups are intersected. I much preferred the, uh, the the like the like the group of like just well behaved like school like high school nerds mm-hmm. than, uh, than the other one. But uh, but it was all third edition. Occasionally we dipped into like Star Wars D twenty um, mm-hmm. and. Uh, um yeah it was it, it was a good time um yeah i mostly played uh like either rogues or uh like one of my favorite characters was uh was i i figured out rules to make a dragoon yeah so, you love lancers yeah, yeah yeah so i i bore that out with uh i think it only took like one ring and some very specific stats and feats in order to make somebody who could do jump attacks and stuff which mm-hmm. was real cool and uh you know uh, whoever the D was, or the the DM was, I I, uh, I forget who it was, uh, but uh, they they allowed it, and that was a fun thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The um, one of my uh, so I, I met a kid. His name was Sean, 
Um, and I can't remember how I met him. Like, I might have just run into him. I might have been those way that kids meet and you just kind of say, like, hey, my name's Gary. <laughs> yeah. Let's, let's hang out. Um, who I was friends with for uh, middle school and a little bit into high school, who we went separate ways. Um, you know, he became, you know, more into kind of like drugs and, and, and stuff than I, that I was into. Isn't that the and, thing that uh, always happens? Like that, yeah. Like, that's how I lost a bunch of my high school friends was like, yeah. oh, you're you're like all about the pot now. <laughs> Yeah, which is fine, like yeah, in like oh, moderation, exactly. but it's like yeah. I don't want. Yeah, it's, it's like yeah, the, it's, it's the, the key word in that sentence is not pot; it's all about the. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> yeah. exactly. The uh, and that's still true. Like mm-hmm. you know, people who I met who who are professional marijuana users, like it's fine. Mm-hmm. I don't necessarily judge you, but it's also I think it's less interesting to hang out. It limits the things we can talk about. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, so Sean, the real quick sidebar story about Sean because I don't think I've ever said it on a podcast. He uh, he went went through some dire straits and came and lived with me. Mm-hmm. At one point, um, us being the age we were, we were jerking off all the time. <laughs> and after he left, I was cleaning up his like nest. Oh, and I, this no. is disgusting. There was a, a sheet that I swear that was stiff as a board. Like you could pick it up on one end and it was just flat, like holding up a, a shield. Um, yeah. Real oh gross. God. And somebody was there when it happened. Like I was like doing it and, and we were just like, I dropped it and it was a, a good time was had by all of this laugh of this really disgusting, you know, Sorry. teenage serial masturbator. Um, you know. but, uh, Sorry. It's okay. Uh, yeah. That, that was half cough, half gag. Yeah. It's, it's, it's gross, man. But, but he introduced me to the game because I, his brother played it. Who I think he learned it from the army. Which is a real thing. Like, D&D is really mm-hmm. big in military. And also um, real big in prisons. Yeah. Yep. And, man, if I went to prison, <laughs> that, that, would be, that would keep me going. Um, and we played with just the three of us a lot and did a lot of the kind of one-on-one play because we didn't have anyone else to play with. Right. And then I was the emissary to bring it to my friends after I grew apart from this dude. And, uh, and played lots of second edition with my group. Yeah. And, uh, and Shadowrun. And I took a long break and didn't play it. And then at some point, Brayton from the pitch... Um, I found out that he still played tabletop games and I was like, you know what? I don't know why I quit that. Like that was really fun. And if I had a good group of people, I should start that again mm-hmm. as maybe in 2004, 2005 and, uh, and did that. Yeah. So mm-hmm. yeah, it was a uh, real good, the, uh, I once I tried to, there was a girl who I had designs on <laughs> who I invited to a session by trying to sell it to her. She was into theater yeah. and trying to sell it to her as essentially theater, oh, no. which was a, yeah, it was a dumb idea. But that's something I did when I was in like you know junior high. As you do, yeah. So, yeah. but yeah, and I and I've kind of like since I moved to Portland, like you move to a city where you don't know anybody. <laughs> it's a this is a good idea, mm-hmm. you know. Like a, a lot of my friends who I met, I met through that. Even though we don't, you know, that's not the only thing we do. Yeah. But it's just like you know a good way to to meet people. Nick, yeah. you know, from checking out Comrade and who's been on various network related things. Um, he's a member of that group, and he's one of my my best Portland buddies. And uh, it's a it's a good way, you know, if you're lost and alone, in prison or in the army, <laughs> as you would be, to uh, to make you know I like uh, social activities around a thing. Yeah, and that's that's always been true of me. Like when I was in bands, I would like to go to a show, but I I didn't have like parties were harder harder for me than shows. Right. You know, like let's go watch a thing and talk about it, mm-hmm. and then kind of interact afterwards rather than just like sit at it at opposite ends of a table and just discuss. Yeah. You know that was harder for me. And I think that that moment where you enter into a new situation, whether it's a new locale or a new kind of like social paradigm, 
um, mm-hmm. is really important because when I went to college, I had every intention. You know, I brought all my rule books, uh, despite the limited room that I had in my living situations, um, thinking, hey, I'm going to do exactly that thing. And I could not find a group that I found tolerable. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. pretty much everybody that I found was the kind of person who had played in the common area along with their magic cards. And I was like, I don't want to be seen with you like i don't yeah it's, it's okay so that's not shallow but like that that was a bigger comment uh, that was a bigger symptom of uh or one of the symptoms of like i just don't like you as a person and the way you yeah. comport yourself right fit, fit is so important like when sometimes when people talk about like oh, i don't want to play Dungeons and dragons those guys are all assholes like yeah or those are you know big neck breathy grognar just smell neck like milk breathe. like yeah <laughs> neck breathy <laughs> grognar just smell like milk what, are, just are they don't pest play dispensers <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, there are people listening to the show who have met me. Like, I am not a neck-breathing, <laughs> grognardy milk drinker. Like, I, you know, I'm just a regular dude. Yeah. You know? Uh-huh. Um, and, and I'm into this stuff. So, like, you can find people who you like as regular dudes. Again, we talked about this. And and it's probably will be more fun to do this kind of thing with them. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. It's the ass. But yeah, yeah. I, I just I, I've not had enough D&D in my life. Um, well, and now I couldn't do it because of time. But uh, like that was my big break was uh, was going to college. Yeah, it, It's my I don't have tons of time, but that is my social my like weekly social gathering. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I usually hang out with my girlfriend and then I will I have game night. Yeah. And that's that's my it's my structured, you know, except for special occasion style stuff. Right. That's what I do. Yeah, I actually came to Dungeons Dragons uh, through video games first, though. Oh, yeah. Se- me too. Segway. Yeah. So let's talk about uh, D&D and video games. When we talk about the things that D&D has led, um, has lent rather to uh, to games, it's really actually probably a shorter list to say what hasn't been, yeah. uh, well, like what wasn't derived from D&D, right? Specifically, you know, role-playing games. Yeah. It's like anything anything with stats. Mm-hmm. So like D&D, you know, like a party system, that's, that's D&D. Yeah. Um, kind of, you know, stats, a lot of monsters. Like just about every D and D monster has shown up. Yeah. In, in a game, like I mean, one of the biggest like, examples of that, if you look at, it, is Final Fantasy One, mm-hmm. which is a party class based party thing with mind fucking mind flayers <laughs> in it. You know that essentially plays like a and D campaign. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. Um, end boss monsters. That concept came from an early the first video game based on D and D. Um, is the first like the introduction of a boss monster. Mm-hmm. The things which is huge. Like, think about yeah. how integral that is to video games, any type of video game. Yeah. Like the structure, the rhythm, the pace. Yeah. Yeah. And and games where you can actually do any kind of, like, role-playing in them, like, so, like, your Fallouts and stuff, like, maybe not, there's not a direct line because a lot happened between D&D and Fallout, but that's an idea that first kind of showed up mm-hmm. there. So, like, if you're making yeah. a choice about which way the story goes in a game... Yeah, and that choice that, is backed up by systems where yeah. there are numbers that are determining your success or failure. Yeah. Right. Yep, that's that's you know those are speech checks, mm-hmm. which is a and D or a tabletop role playing game thing. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, um, the first MMO uh, was a D and D game, Neverwinter Nights on AOL. Yep, the first one with the graphics. Yeah, yeah, there yeah, were BBSs yeah, there were and mods. mods and stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. but yeah, first MMO mm-hmm. was uh, you know use the gold box engine. It's not much to look at, but you know you play it with other people. Yep, it's pretty neat. Um, you have something in the notes here. Uh, Skyrim <laughs> is a single player D and D session with a yep, shitty DM who gives you too much treasure. <laughs> that's that's pretty much true. <laughs> it's still fun. Like I, I like Skyrim, okay. Yep. But uh, yeah, it's like I guess you know I kind of covered that point. I was talking about Final Fantasy being a, a Dungeon Dragons campaign, but Skyrim definitely feels like any of the, that kind of like sword and sorcery, you know, video game kind of thing. Mm-hmm. 
pretty much D, you know, pretty much D and D. Like yeah. it all comes down to it. Yeah. So if you have sword yeah. dudes and staff dudes, like it's yep. going to be there like that. DNA yeah. The, the idea of like, a, yeah, like class, like in a, in a game, like yeah, or wizards and, you know, Tolkien mm-hmm. and such, but kind of that, the idea of in a game setting, uh, delineating people based on their job or their role in, in a, you know, in an encounter, yeah, like in a video game, like it's all, it's all there. Yeah. So, and I would even say that D and D has kind of lent systematic shared group storytelling. Uh, to games, which is kind of a broader a broader way um, of of uh, um, saying that kind of any interplay between designers and players that is based on numerical underpinnings that 's huge right yeah like your character having even hit points hit points is something that came from d and d right right, right. Hit and points we, are life points we, or blah 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 and when we say like um numerical underpinnings before like the the guy in the back you know raises his hand and says like yes, there are numbers behind Mario jumping. Mm-hmm. Like we know that we mean like a like a stat, yeah. Like the result of something being the determinate you know determined by a statistic mm-hmm. that so. is public. So like like having it out there and especially having any agency over it, like character creation. You know, like if you play wizardry, like character creation essentially plays like rolling up a D and D character, mm-hmm. like that that. Yeah. character improvement like even if you all start for even if in a game like yeah, Kingsfield, where you start from the same spot like making choices and improving over the course of play that's huge and that's something yeah. that happens even in bionic commando yeah exactly <laughs> right or double dragon too yeah like there's leveling in that so mm-hmm. you can you can draw a direct line there yeah uh the yeah. classes and archetypes like pretty much anything you know since we've codified mmo play the holy three like your tank your healer and your dps like the, that pretty much maps directly to uh the the three classes from Chainmail, right yeah. fight fight man cast man and and uh, Holy yeah. Man, the movie yeah. with Eddie Murphy. Oh. <laughs> yeah. 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 C. Martin. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then and kind of like this is real basic, but it's it can't really be understated is that, you know, the people who make the games that you love uh, probably, you know, acquired their love of, of games and systems and rules and storytelling from Dungeons and Dragons mm-hmm. or tabletop gaming. Not everybody, but a lot of people did. I, there's a book called uh, 30 Years of Adventure, which is a history of D&D book, and it's interspersed with interviews from people and there are a lot of game designers in there um you know and you just get to see them talk about how they you know their share stories and how they came to it um and it's just a again can't be understated how important it was to you know to people because they're the people who are making the games you love right now grew up to be totally age appropriate to hit this craze Mm -hmm. you know and we're probably the kind of numbers based outcast that, (laughs) that this would attract um, you know, so it, it has that indirect influence as well. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And just even like more basic, since we're talking about that move from primitive storytelling and games to nuanced, like this was the gap that this bridged the gap from Tolkien to games by putting math under storytelling. Right. Yeah. So like when you put numbers under something, you can feed it into, into a computer and make it into an experience that holds up and can yeah. be iterated upon multiple, you know, multiple times. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's it's just it's huge. Like it just it it takes so much from it, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, it's interesting the same way that like so when I and I think I've used this analogy before. Like I got into I you know I love Fallout Three. Super excited when it came out. I played it. When I found out about Oblivion, which I hadn't I'd only heard of, but I didn't know anything about it um, at the time. Like that was you know I was not playing tons of games at the time. I was not really game literate when that came out. Um, I thought. Oh, people are calling Fallout Oblivion with 
guns. Maybe if I play Oblivion, it'll be just like Fallout with swords, <laughs> and like that sounds fun to me. So like the you know if you like these things in games, like you know that was uh, you know part of my why I was open to the idea of playing D and D was like, oh you know I like this stuff already. Maybe I'll like this slightly different form of it that mm-hmm. it came from. You know. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. So we, I feel like we just kind of scratched the surface or just did like a lip service version of that, like without getting too navel gazy. I think that's about as deep as we can go. But, yeah. but, but yeah, like just a, a lot of stuff is owed. Yeah. And by saying too navel gazy without doing more research than we did. Yeah. Because, yeah, because I mean, there's, there's probably more, more direct things than that. Mm-hmm. Um, not least of which, like, you know, there are so games influence and there's also games based on D and D are really yeah. huge, you know, pillar, pillar of things. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I went through in preparation. I took the Wikipedia entry of games based on D and D and watched a little bit of YouTube of each one, mm-hmm. just so I'd know what they were. Yeah. Um, but we're not going to go through each one and do kind of a like a Retronaut style thing, even though Retronauts, you ever do that episode? <laughs> know who to call. Um, but the uh, so I've seen all of these and I've played many of them. Yeah, I've played lots of them too. I didn't do the YouTube yeah. uh, the YouTube dump that you did, but. Some of it I was just kind of curious. Like when I found out there were games based on Ravenloft, yeah. and I was like, oh, that, that's cool. Like, what is it? And I was like, well, it's pretty much Eye of the Beholder. It's a free love. <laughs> pretty much. Yeah. So Yeah. Like yeah, once they stumbled upon that formula, they really just kind of cranked it out. It's real, it's real formula based, which is interesting because that's kind of how the tabletop game works. <laughs> like you, you get this set of rules and then you can do different iterations on it. Is it interesting or expected? Um, I mean, it's, it's, it's a parallel. <laughs> yeah. So it's just, it's, it, you know, and it's, it, yeah, I guess that's all it is. Mm-hmm. but there's yeah. a wide variety because there have been games about D for you know 25 years or whatever yeah so yeah so we yeah. have this broken up into eras right yeah like kind yeah. of different periods so um before the gold box came um there are a lot of kind of weirdo things mm-hmm. so uh the first one is a plato game which was a a kind of a old mainframe computer it's essentially just a text, you know, a dungeon crawl, yeah. text-based dungeon crawl with D&D rules. Like Space um, War a, Adventure or whatever. Yeah, yeah, all text, though. Yeah. So Space War had... Um, I suppose, yeah. Yeah, graphics and Wasn't stuff. Wasn't so Space War, like, mainframe-based, too? But It was mainframe-based, yeah. I believe. But um, it was not... Yeah, this is a text adventure. Uh, it was just combat. But it introduced boss monsters. Pretty crazy. <laughs> and then there were um, some weird dungeon crawl things. Um, I have in the notes that they're mostly first-person dungeon crawls. Yeah. Um, one of the games uh, is actually pretty interesting where you're you're an archer. And I think it's just called Dungeons & Dragons um, for the Intellivision. And you, uh, it's an action RPG. So you're going around shooting things, which I hadn't really seen so much. And then your line of sight is restricted by what your character can see. So other areas are blacked out. Hmm. Similar to like Teleglitch or Ultima or you know any number of you know there's kind of a fog of war which I never I, that might be the first use of that yeah because um, it's very early on um, but a bunch of just first person dungeon crawls where there's there's no story or anything like that it's yeah. just uh, yeah which that was the easiest thing for them to simulate which was just the raw math behind what yeah. was happening there as opposed to actually taking the time or using the storage space to put in fiction or graphics etc yeah yeah um, after that came the gold box. Which was a kind of a big, you know, good, you know, gold. These sold really well. It yeah. was a huge hit for them, and they mm-hmm. all used the same engine. Did you play any of these like contemporaneously, or were you like me and you just kind of went back to them historically? No, I played um, I, on my first computer um, okay. that I had. Like, I got a series of my computing history. It was a series of cast offs from uh, my friend Derek, mm-hmm. 
And, uh, you know, I starting with like an 8086, like the you know, oldest, shittiest uh, computer. But when I eventually had one that would run these, um, he pirated me a copy. <laughs> and I don't, I was one of them in the Dragonlance trilogy, but it wasn't the first one. I don't remember which of the two it was. Yeah. Um, so I did play one of them contemporaneously. And then um, in the golden age of buying PC games where like there were jewel box like really wonderful games at Walmart for ten dollars. Yeah. Like Fallout One and Two for ten bucks. Mm-hmm. Um, they had a collection of all of them for ten dollars. Yeah, that I they still have. But I no longer have the copy protection wheel. Oh no. So yeah, yeah. And they actually don't play well that way because um, one of the interesting things is to conserve disk space. All of the and for copy protection, all of the kind of journal entries and backstory stuff um, is in actually in the manual. So you'd be playing the game and it would say refer to page 156 on the manual yep. and you would read a little bit in your book and then continue in the game. Yeah. The era of feelies, right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And um, uh, like I'm just in order to refresh my memory for discussion, I'm looking at a Google image search of the interfaces. So I can remember how archaic they were, but uh, lots of scantily clad ladies, which is something that is true of D and D throughout the ages. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the sexist, like uh, I only need to protect my nipples and my, my clit. Yep. That's the only thing that needs chainmail right now. <laughs> a critical hit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was, I was going to say critical clit, um, but those mean very different things. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it is critical that you have one of these. Yes. <laughs> Otherwise, it's, we're going to be here for a very long time. Yeah, well, it is the seat of a woman's sexual pleasure. This is true. Um, yeah. The uh, so <laughs> the uh, so these broke up. They were you know first person wizardry style dungeon crawls. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and then combat played out a little. You know, an overhead tactical right. turn based combat like those Ultimas did, or uh, you know, not like a Final Fantasy Tactics. You know, but I guess like it means tactical turn-based combat, yeah. Where positioning matters and stuff with large, uh, kind of the one of the things that the games don't really do so much, or other games other than D and D don't seem to do as often is large amounts of enemies. So you'd mm-hmm. fight kind of hordes, right? In a in a turn base, and it worked. Mm-hmm. Um, like these are all like pretty good games. Yeah. Um, there's essentially three trilogies that are the the core ones, along with some spinoffs. Like there's a Spelljammer game, um, but two of them are in Forgotten Realms, one in Dragonlance. Yeah. And uh, if I ever retire, I'll I'll play through all these. If I ever <laughs> be, or become like an immortal, like it becomes like a, you know, I, I have no mouth and I must scream scenario. Except <laughs> I'm just trapped in video games. <laughs> like I, I will play N? all the old boss. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Except if Captain N could just play video games, like he just gets sucked into the TV, and then he's just in another version of his room, but there's no door, and he doesn't age. Yeah. And then. Yep. I can't tell you, so, like, how many, like, in third grade when I was asked to write a story, how many stories were. And then he was sucked into the TV and he got to play with Sonic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's the saddest mm-hmm. thing. Uh, but, yeah, uh, these are really successful. I mean, when you say gold box, people who kind of know a little bit about D&D and video games, uh, the, the, these exact things come to mind. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I would love, like, a like a streamlined, optimized, like, iOS ports of these. Yeah. That would be what would get me to play them. And I know we say that all the time on yeah. our podcast now, but mm-hmm. like if you have an old clunky system of a game I want to play, <laughs> a streamlined iOS port is what I, you know, want yeah. in order to I think. Or, you know, like let, let's say like a like a GOG or Steam remaster. Yeah, that would that would be fine too, yeah. yeah. Like I was just thinking of playing it in, in bed. Mm-hmm. Um <laughs> the, uh, the there's a real quick sidebar I want to make about um, unlimited adventures. Yeah which is a creation engine for the gold box thing. So you get to make your own games. And it was one of my first uh, game making experiences. So it's, it's really important to me based on that. Like I had made games in basic yeah. um, with my friends before this, but um, yeah, 
Unlimited Adventures is a real good fun time, mm-hmm. and uh, I'm pretty sure it's Abandonware. You can get it. Um, it's pretty robust yeah. for for a game creation engine, and this is where. And since it was visual, it was the first game making thing that I made that was visual. Mm-hmm. Essentially, I just made um, my neighborhoods, huh. like you know, which was really fun. Like we did jokey things where like you'd have to go into you know each other's houses, and they were <laughs> the layouts were correct. Yeah, and you and would likely like if somebody saw that be you know. Yeah, like they, yeah. They, they, but, they, they put up like a red flag and like list you as a threat or something. Yeah, this was pre pre Columbine. Yeah. You know that I was doing this, but like it was really fun to like explore these little virtual versions of my real life that I made. <laughs> yeah, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and it was fun too because you had this kind of real limited set of monsters, so we had to portray people we knew. <laughs> you know, like that was that was goofy and dumb. Um, so, so you know, super cool mm-hmm. to do that. Um, yeah, so I recommend that. And again, you, I think it's a uh, abandonware, so you can just kind of get it, you know, yeah. if you're, if you're interested in playing around with it. Mm-hmm. Um, After that kind of came, uh, came the eye of the beholder, um, era along with Strahd's yeah. possession and dungeon hack. Um, I the beholder real fucking good. Yeah. Yeah. Even though yeah. it's, uh, insidious, like, Oh yeah. That's, you know, I didn't, don't do random teleporter traps. Like, <laughs> yep. It's like my least favorite thing. Yeah. <laughs> so, so hard. Mm-hmm. But, and you know, maybe, appropriate time to do a quick sidebar on beholders because uh <laughs> this is you know my favorite monster yeah um beholders. Yeah, I was, is I was, beholder? I, they're pretty good i mean they're kind of like a a sampler plate of uh status effects which is real cool um yeah. i like that i like their design uh they're 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 big eye orbs yeah uh, with like tiny eyes around them i think the I design is great mm-hmm. like did you when you came over did you see my stuffed beholder oh yes i did yeah yeah yeah. And uh, when I was when I was playing the D and D adventure brawler arcade brawler rather mm-hmm. games, yeah. um, I, I smiled when I got to the holders because I was like, Gary would like this a lot, <laughs> and I know that you do. <laughs> it always makes me smile. Yeah. Like I just like just run into a beholder, it just makes me happy. Yeah, um, it's my you know my favorite uh, entry in the the monster manual is all the different types of beholders, mm-hmm. like all the cool undead ones, and you know in the underwater ones and stuff like that. Yeah, pretty neat. Let me some cool. beholders. Uh, can you but, tell me yeah. about Strahd's Possession or Dungeon Hack? Because I have not played either of those. Yeah, yeah, I, I watched. Uh, I watched. I played Dungeon Hack back in the day, but I watched all of them. Um, Strahd's Possession, and there are a couple other ones we're not listing here, but essentially the um, the they run in a similar engine, Die of the Beholder, where they're real time first person dungeon crawls, sometimes grid based, sometimes with a free look. Um, a lot like uh, what is it, Legend of Grimrock? Essentially, mm, like that's yeah. you know. That's kind of a you know callback to these, yeah, um, or like wizardry uh, too. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, but real time, so real yeah. time uh, combat as opposed to wizardry, which is a turn based, yeah, turn based kind of thing. Um, Strahd's possession. All the Ravenloft games looked really disappointing. I didn't see anything horror based mm-hmm. in them. Um, Dungeon Hack is interesting because the idea is that uh, when you fire it up, it creates a randomly generated dungeon yeah. for you. Like you have a town. That's always the same that you can be in to purchase equipment and then you go down into the dungeon and it's always different. So it has that little bit of like roguelike flavor to it. Yeah. Um, and it was meant to just be a endlessly replayable experience. Um, but these are the, this is what they are is their first person dungeon crawls. I get lost in these. Like I, I have to map and then I get bored mapping. <laughs> so like first person dungeons are not always my favorite thing. Yeah. Like grid based first person, per, first person dungeons. Did you, uh, did you do any mapping for Kingsfield before you realized that the world is smaller than you think it is? Uh, no, 
Okay. No, because I, I found an item that was a map, and I thought it would work. And I was like, "Well, when I need to, <laughs> nope. When I, yeah, when I need a map, I'll look at this." And then, <laughs> nope. But it's actually, yeah, I haven't needed one yet. It's really elegant. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, the way it, everything kind of doubles back on itself, and yeah. and that that's a discussion for about a month from now. But <laughs> yeah, sorry, I just yeah. wanted to put no, that okay. in because first person dungeon exploring that is top of mind for me. Yeah, yeah. Yep, yep. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so if you like this, these are these are good games. Those, yeah. especially the Eye of the Beholder ones. There are Game Boy Advance ports. Of uh, both the Eye of the Beholder games that are that are good ports, and a Super Nintendo port, I think. Oh, uh, so yeah, I, I had no idea. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a couple of weirdos here, um, specifically around those oddball campaigns, Alcadim and the uh, and the Dark Sun. Um, yeah. But uh, again, no no dice here for me. So yeah, um, Alcadim is a Zelda game oh. essentially, like it's a shitty Zelda. Um, they, I watched you know five minutes of it, and he didn't fight anything. He just avoided traps. <laughs> Um, I had a friend who, who played this a lot, but I never watched him and, and never played it. But Alcadim is Alcadim. Um, Dark Sun is like a better graphics kind of updated version of Gold Box. Like it's all overhead, but the combat is kind of the same. Right. And uh, I think you're a one, it's a one man party. And, I, and there are two games based in the setting, but I haven't played them. Um, but they look, you know, turn based tactical um, RPG. Right. There's that. Yeah. Um, uh, you mentioned that Iron and Blood is a piece of shit. Yeah, Ravenloft, Iron and Blood. Mm. Um, I had this. It's an early PlayStation game. It's a 3D fighting game mm-hmm. um, based on different characters that could have fallen into Ravenloft just fighting. <laughs> and it's so bad. But the uh, So when I went to um, – when I bought my PlayStation, the guy who ran it because it was a cool independent shop gave me a free game. Uh-huh. Which is great. Like what it, you know, that doesn't happen now. Yeah. He's like, pick out a game. And I picked out Final Fantasy VII because as you do. And then he said – do you, well, is there something else you want? Like something else cheap? Like I know this is this is just a role playing game. Like, you know, this is going to take you a long time. Do you want something like actiony or something? Which again, just imagine a store owner doing that. Like, yeah, it's like here. Have independent this shops thing. are great. Yeah. And uh, and I picked this because I had Dungeons and Dragons in the title, not knowing what it was at all. Right. And because were, those were my only two PlayStation games, when I wasn't playing Final Fantasy VII, I was playing Iron and Blood, <laughs> um, which is just really really bad. Yeah. Um, it is it is really terrible and sloppy. And animation cycles are really bad, and it looks uglier than Sin. Oh, yeah, literally nothing. But what I do know about is the uh, the arcade games, uh, Shadow oh, yeah. of Mistara and yep. the uh, the Tower of Doom. I got those yep. backwards in chronological order, but uh, they are both really good, and everybody should play them because they are very easy to get a hold of. I th- I think I will I will stand by my statement that I think they are the best arcade beat 'em ups. Yeah. Well, they're so because, fantastic because, like, the difference in characters matters, right? Yeah. Like, X-Men, like, that's my probably my second favorite, but, like, your character doesn't matter. Whereas this, you know, your choice of class, you had more in, uh, you know, Shadow of Mistara. But, uh, but yeah. like, that, that has a huge impact on the way that you play. Yeah, and you, and you level up. Uh-huh. And you have equipment and you uh-huh. have spells. You like, have and some of the spells are, yeah, you have, yeah, you exactly. You oil items, on people. Branching paths. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, it's, they're wonderful. And for so long, they were unavailable here except for a Saturn yeah. port that was like super hard to find. And that was um, like really frustrating to me. So whenever I saw one in the arcade, that was kind of my, my number one priority. Yeah. But the, uh, the re-releases that we have that we're going to be giving away, mm-hmm. uh, before, you know, in this episode, um, are so good. Like, did you, like, they're so loving. Like, did you spend any time in the yeah. concept art galleries and, and just kind of the way you can make it emulate an arcade cabinet? like the you know the like the, the view two screen, screen kind of thing yeah 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 no i uh I, I spent a night with it up on my big screen and uh play just playing with an xbox controller and it just it works so well um 
it was really nostalgic for me too because like like <laughs> going the D and D cabinet was one of my favorite things about a about a yearly uh, ritual that my family had. My grandparents would take me and my brother to a, to a hotel in northern Ohio called Sawmill Creek, mm-hmm. and like of all the you know the pool and the you know various resort type things that were there, and getting to spend time with my with my family, um, I was most excited about going to the tiny little arcade and playing the the, the yeah. Tower of Doom and trying to get past the black ooze at the beginning. So yeah. good. Yeah, it's 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 great. Like yeah. it, like they're they're so good, and they connect perfectly. Like uh-huh. this, the Steam optimization is is re- is really wonderful. So you know, get some people, yeah. play the game. Like you can play it with each other, and that's how I think you should do beat 'em ups, talking yeah. over Skype, and, <laughs> and same you know simulate that arcade experience, yeah. or play it alone, like Clark Griswold in the attic in Christmas Vacation. <laughs> <laughs> I also recently watched that for for Christmas. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but yeah, so so good. Yep. Um, and then uh, real quick, Descent to Under Mountain, which is essentially uh, Ultima Underground. But the most famous thing about this is that uh, that we know of is that it's the game that stopped uh, Chris Avalon from working on Fallout One. Is that he wanted oh, to? Yeah. He mentioned in our interview that he wanted to finish uh, working on Descent to Under Mountain. Yeah, I didn't make that connection. Yep. Huh. So I blame know- uh, Descent to Under Mountain for yeah. that. Hmm. Oh well, yeah. I never played it, so I don't know if I can blame it for anything. <laughs> no, I can't either. He didn't like it very much. Yeah, like Kristen said, it was kind of a bad game. But well, I trust him. I, yeah. I think I think that in general he has okay taste. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I I trust that man with yeah. uh, your with, life. With, with, yeah, with, with, with your with EpiPen. The, with, with the life of the life of little uh, little Chris Avalon Butterfield here. <laughs> That's your carrying to term. You've decided. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. My, my tiny, tiny son. Um, <laughs> my tiny son. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. man. And uh, spe- speaking of things that you love, uh, like yeah. your tiny son. Uh, man, the Infinity Engine. Yeah, I would. I would consider this to be the golden age of D and D games. Mm-hmm. Um, starting with Baldur's Gate, which is probably you know the most famous D and D based game, and then uh, Baldur's Gate one and two, Torment, and Icewind Dale one and two. Yeah. Um, I would say yeah. that, like in the long view, there are so many things that I'm happy that I've had an excuse to play through this show. But like Torment is the one that, like, I am just most grateful to have experienced. Yeah, in my mind, the way that I always, you know, best game we've done for the show is a, you know, game I'll play with myself every once in a while. Mm-hmm. We'll play something real good. And I'm like, ah, is this the best game we've done for the show? <laughs> yeah, and uh, and that comes up a lot. And it's Torment's always real near the top. Yeah, it has to clear so the just, Torment bar. Yeah. yeah, like a, a, you know, this hovering around Silent Hill two and Torment. Yeah, you know, kind of uh, kind of floating around there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you know, yep. Torment's really good. I started replaying. I got Enhanced Edition of Baldur's Gate to work on my computer finally. Oh, I started replaying that. It's really good. Yeah, I, like I, I have to. I have to be honest with you. I've not done too much Baldur's Gate. It's really good. I know. <laughs> yep, it, it is. It's it's not Torment good. Like it's not. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's, it's more like fight based, right? Well, it's more like there's a good story in it, mm-hmm. but it's not like a story that's going to make you question the nature of reality or right. anything. That the thing that the Baldur's Gate does better than any game that I know is if you play, you can play with the same character through one, two, and the expansion to two, which is about as big as a new game. I'm right. um, throwing a ball, so it, you know the trilogy. You can play with one character through the whole thing, and it is the most satisfying empowerment that I've experienced in a game, yeah. which like, and that's a big part of video games. Like you start out every Metroid being depowered and you have to find all your stuff. Right. This is, you know, you're starting off like scared shitless from wolves. Like a wolf <laughs> will kill you because second edition D and D is what you know, the rules are based on. Like you first level characters are absolute garbage. <laughs> you know, you can be a mage with one hit point and, uh, and die Jesus. from anything, you know, you can, I mean, you can reroll until it doesn't happen, but it's theoretically possible in the rule set. 
Mm-hmm. And then by the end, you are literally a demigod and are fighting, you know, also demigods, you know, and you, you've you spent, you know, 50 hours of your life, 60 hours of your life going through this, getting to that point. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very satisfying and mirrors that kind of feeling of like, I've got an attachment with this avatar that I've spent a lot of time with, you know, that you get from a, a long running tabletop campaign. Mm-hmm. You know, and the the quests are interesting. Like it's not Fallout levels of alternate win conditions, but there are multiple solutions for the quests. Um, the characters are all really good. You know, it's Bioware. Yeah. So like, if you end up liking the, you know, my my kind of lukewarmness on modern Bioware, it doesn't have to do with the the writing. It has to do all with the systems. Yeah. And uh, you know, the system is is rock solid. Right. And, because uh, it's you know, based writing, on you know. Because <laughs> it's based on a rock solid tabletop game. Yeah. Yeah. You know. Um. So, but all the characters and writing is 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 there. Mm-hmm. And it's nascent form. So, Baldur's Gate one and two are, are really great. I think if you're gonna play one of these at Torment, yeah. If you're gonna play three of them, it's Baldur's Gate. <laughs> and Icewind Dale is good too. It's it's more combat focused. Yeah, but it's fun. Mm-hmm. There are a couple of kind of ancillary entries in this era, uh, yeah. specifically Temple of Elemental Evil, and I would say like maybe Pools of Radiance belongs here as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just because I call them ancillary, they are based on you know actual modules uh, that were from around the time, and like uh, Temple of Elemental Evil actually has like a really big mod community around it, um, which is necessary based, based on making it actually work. Yeah, uh, exactly. <laughs> but like people have good things to say about it if they can get it to function. Uh, yeah. You know, Pools of Radiance hasn't had that kind of vindication, um, or you know that kind of like restoration effort uh, put around it, but uh, it still very much is in this like let's simulate. Uh, these yep. heroes. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, we also, uh, D&D Heroes, which we, I forgot about something, um, Baldur's Gate Dark Alliance. Which oh, will also shit. Be in yeah. Here. Yeah. Which I yeah. love that game. It's so good. Yeah. Like Baldur's like, Gate and uh, everything that sprung off of it, except for uh, Fallout uh, Brotherhood of Steel. Like yeah. the Champions in Orath. Like it did that same thing, except with uh, something that was you know near and dear to my heart, which was the EQ, uh, EverQuest yep. mythos, but uh, yep. but still awesome games, right? Yeah, hack and slash, Super. consoleized, uh, you know, uh, Diablo type games. Yep, yeah, yep. And then we enter into the uh, the Neverwinter Nights era yep. and kind of into now, yep. which I know so, you spend a lot of time with. I'm still mm-hmm. you know my perpetual. I'm halfway through a Neverwinter Nights campaign with Derek <laughs> at like you know 30 hours or whatever because we're doing everything. Yeah, it's taking a long time. So, uh, like you were with Unlimited Adventures, the uh, the Aurora engine from Neverwinter Nights was uh, was my introduction, kind of to very uh, facilitated and very easy um, game design. Um, mm-hmm. It has a very very robust. I think that that is the best thing that it did. Um, Neverwinter Nights, except for Hordes of the Underdark, which is just phenomenal. I uh, never played Neverwinter. Well, Mask of the Betrayer is the one that yeah, like, yeah. Uh, so, worked on, and that's what I'm working towards is, mm-hmm. is getting to that. Yeah, so I never played that one, but like Hordes of the Underdark of that like Neverwinter Nights, just basic trilogy of stuff. That's the, like the, the, that is real solid. Mm-hmm. Um, Neverwinter Nights is the you know the computer game version of Third Edition. I think mm-hmm. it is really one of the like the the the, the, the only main thrust of third third edition into uh into video games uh that we've seen and uh that was a huge big effort it was thought to be temple of elemental was third edition too. was it oh, okay i forgot yeah. about that yeah. yeah um i would sorry i shouldn't have cut you off to correct you no, <laughs> that was no. dickish i should just let you finish the sentence and then yeah said it. yeah I, for, I, I forgot about that like i never got yeah. temple of elements uh you know i never got that to run um yeah. even though i got it for like five dollars at my GameStop that i worked <laughs> at Oh, yeah. man did i love it when GameStops had pc games oh yeah there was a, a big just like everything was two bucks for some reason and yep. just kinds of weird old titles yeah, that no, was, it, was, it, was, it was great you could hold the games back in the back room until they were depriced yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> so they wouldn't be transferred 
Yep, yep. Yeah. But uh but yeah, Neverwinter Nights. I I really like it. Um more for the crazy mods and uh you know, um campaigns that were distributed over their multiplayer uh mm-hmm. stuff. I think that the in general the main campaign of Neverwinter Nights kind of garbage for the majority of it. Um but uh but yeah, I think that as kind of this mainstay um into uh custom gameplay kind of stuff like they had like a dm mode where if you were playing a local you know a multiplayer or even i think online multiplayer with your friends one person could be designated as the dm and you know run these kind of things which is huge that's that's great awesome like have you ever played uh sleep is death uh no but i've always heard i've heard of it but i haven't played it yeah so like like just you know shared group storytelling especially over line and facilitated through a system something i'm so into and uh, Neverwinter Nights coming out and doing this in you know 2002, basically, uh, huge deal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and I don't like I was, I'm you know, like I said, I'm still playing Neverwinter Nights. I'm going to play it some this weekend mm-hmm. with it with my buddy. I feel like that to do the vanilla, you know, I have to do it co-op, or it's you know, I can't do it. Do the vanilla campaign, and yeah. that's what gave me initially a bad impression. You know, and even the campaign even gets better as it goes. Yeah, yeah. You know, it just starts off with just the worst thing. <laughs> um, but uh, and I'm looking forward to experiencing the rest of the series. Like I'm, yeah. I'm pretty into it. Yeah. Um, so, and I haven't messed around with the tools, but I, I might get into that as well. <laughs> um, also, kind of around this time, um, Demon Stone and Dragon uh, Dragon Shard. Yeah. Are two two kind of weirdo games. Uh, Demon Stone is a over-the-shoulder hack-and-slash. Yeah, yeah. So it's uh, Forgotten Realms. It's based on the engine from uh, from the, the PS2 Lord of the Rings games. Mm-hmm. Um, so both Two Towers and The Return of the King. I really like it. It's kind of got that uh, trine character-switching effect. You go from uh, from your warrior to your rogue to your, uh, to your mage. Mm-hmm. Um, and it works real well. Um, forgive the Drist crossover section uh, chapter. But I think it's real good. <laughs> and it often shows up on GOG for like $2. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yep. Or, I mean, you can do the thing that I did with GOG and wait for them to do that every game based on Dungeons & Dragons like <laughs> yeah. combo pack. And you get everything for like $35. And Pretty it's much. totally worth it. And it breaks down to about $2 for Demon Stone. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, the, uh, and then there's also Dragon Shard, which is a Warcraft 3 clone, mm-hmm. more or less, and is actually really good. Um, I've only played the like uh, maybe an hour of it, an hour and a half, but I had fun with it. Like I think it's a pretty good game. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's D and D online, yeah, which is um, you know kind of a, a you know I don't play it because it's an MMO, <laughs> um, but it's free. Have you and it is? Have you ever played it? Um, no, I've never picked up D and D online. Okay, which is weird because I, and it's actually been recommended to me. Like it's supposed to be a game that you can. It's free to play, but you can make progress through the game without paying for it, no problem. Right. Like you lose, what they do is they make you pay for quests, right? As opposed to equipment and stuff, which you know it's more content, which is probably in one way it's insidious because it's the thing I most want, and the other way it's not insidious because it's the thing that's most justified to pay for. Mm-hmm. You know, like I'll do a DLC; and it doesn't bother me that much. Yeah, yeah. Um, you're also supposed to be able to uh, solo in a really, for a really long time. Yeah. And that's the that's the biggest thing for an MMO for me yeah. is, uh, is solo ability. I played a little bit um, like right after they switched to free to play and they before they had their shit nailed down in terms mm-hmm. of, you know, your your ability to progress through it. And uh, some of the more obnoxious free to play stuff scared me off of it. But the actual yeah. like minute to minute was actually pretty fun. Um, but I'm yeah. a person who has like slightly like marginally more MMO, MMO tolerance than you do. So yeah. I also I, I didn't put it in the list here, but I just want to mention it just because I have first-hand, ex- first-hand experience with it, um, Dungeons & Dragons Tactics Oh yeah, is a really shitty PSP game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So imagine if uh, 
Fallout Tactics mm-hmm. was in an open world, but you only moved around in the combat engine. Jesus. So every time you have to go anywhere, you have to move every individual character. Yeah. So, like, oh, man, it's so frustrating to explore. Like, exploring a dungeon in the Final Fantasy Tactics engine. <laughs> That's so dumb. Uh-huh. That's like, kind of like the bonus been... dungeon in Final Fantasy Tactics, which is real dumb. Which has <laughs> a bunch of floors, though. Like, you go yeah. to a floor, and then you start on the next floor. Uh-huh. This is... There can be there could be a long tunnel between you and that floor, Ugh. and you have one guy who has a low movement speed. He slows down everybody, mm-hmm. and you just had to go cycle through your turns to move them. It's like what ruined the game. Like it, it could have been neat. Uh-huh. I never got far enough in it, even though I played it a lot because I kept picking it up, thinking like oh, I'll play this. Yeah, you know, I bought it. Um, but yeah, it's really bad. And there was a there there was an Xbox Live Arcade D and D game that was actually kind of garbage too. There was high yeah. hopes because it was Dagger Dagger Fall yeah, Dagger D- Dagger uh, Dale or something yep. like that. Yeah, yep. which was you know the 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 video game version of Fourth Edition, which makes sense because Fourth Edition was made to be video gameized, if you yep. believe the frothing fan base. Um, and uh, um, but but yeah, that 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 was kind of garbage too. There was this whole section of like D and D that we didn't really address um, in the tabletop version of it, but like their miniature, they're like the miniature game. Like, oh, yeah. I, I only bought the like the plastic vital miniatures to get cheap miniatures without going to the the battlery in uh, in Columbus yeah. and spending five dollars per pewter miniature. Uh, but yeah, like each of those had stats and stuff. And like from my recollection, that PSP one was based around the miniature game, which is their kind of basic set version of the third edition rules. Right? Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. I didn't. Uh, that game joy bad. <laughs> but I didn't know it was based on miniatures. I believe it was. You know, somebody yeah. will correct me on that if it's true. But yeah. uh, it's very much in the spirit of that, which is let's strip away the stuff that I, I imagine you and I like about D&D and uh, make it more about the system. Yeah. It was, and it was also just bland. Like I I feel like the same thing with Neverwinter Nights. Like if you're going to start out why, – why do these games insist on like starting out having their very first thing be just like you know, a mind full of goblins? Mm-hmm. Or in Neverwinter Nights, it's just like there are four quadrants with four different – essentially zombies yep you know but they just call different things that you have to clear in order mm-hmm. you know like it just that that kind of putting your worst foot forward for a really long period like it's not like a a temples of trial situation where mm-hmm. you can speed around the temple of trials like if you're playing neverwinter nights it's mandatory to go through that you're going to spend two hours three hours in this area yeah like and that there's no no two ways about it like you have to get through it and uh and just a you know bad idea same thing with daggerdale like me and derek played that for a little while because it's you know i'll play almost anything Mm co-op and uh the you know played it and we both got bored you know it's just a real shitty bland area to start to start off in yeah so kind of the final one here uh the most recent example is the uh the neverwinter game not Mm -hmm. neverwinter nights but just neverwinter for modern pc uh, kind of uh, one of the newest crop of free-to-play MMOs. Um, I've actually heard really, really good things about it. I, yeah, I, I've, I've, heard, I've heard nothing, so that's... Yeah. yeah Which, good. you know, again, MMO tolerance and free-to-play tolerance, but uh, but yeah, like uh, the daily events and kind of the, the way that they cycle the broader player base through these, uh, these meta-rhythms for playing. So like, hey, the, you know, during these hours dungeons are up because you know monster activity is up etc like now is crafting time you can get more and more like just uh as a broader more organized mmo that kind of fosters this fosters the sense of community and uh progression it uh it yeah. sounds really cool i've never had a machine that could run it easily but uh but yeah yeah that does sound neat mm-hmm. and, and then who knows what the future will bring <laughs> for for dungeon and dragons i w- i wish that it was downloadable versions of baldur's gate dark alliance <laughs> i would like to be able to play those especially the second one which is mm-hmm. balls rare yeah um that's really expensive 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, good luck ever getting the uh, licensing sorted on that. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's, that's totally true. Um, but yeah, I think that, I mean, that's a pretty good history of D&D-based games. Yeah. There's pro- there are ones we missed. I, you know, I know this. Mm-hmm. Um, but there, a lot of them are just weird. There's like a weirdo 3DO <laughs> one and stuff like that. That's just a first-person dungeon crawl. But typically, like, there's a like, Dungeons & Dragons games kind of went from something that, like, I thought would definitely be good to something that is totally unpredictable mm-hmm. now that it's owned by Atari. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, when I came into them, I, you know, I'd played, a, uh, well, I played that Heroes of the Lance game for NES. <laughs> we, we did for that Let's Play. Um, that's just unplayable. Yep. But I, I played one of the first person dungeon crawl ones for NES, the other one. And, uh, and I was just like, oh, this is neat. And then got real into computer games and it was in, right in the Infinity Engine yeah. era. And, uh, and I was just like, Dungeon Dragons games are going to be fucking solid gold. Like, I, I didn't like, you know, I didn't like Icewind Dale as much as uh, Baldur's Gate 2, but I know Icewind Dale 2 will be really fun to play. Like, this is a safe purchase. Yeah. And it just it felt that way to me. And then I got Temple of Elemental Evil, which looks like, you know, mm-hmm. a Baldur's Gate game. Like, it's overhead and everything. And it just was broken and really hard to play. And then at that point, it became a real crapshoot. Yeah. You know, for me. Yeah, most of my most of my D and D video gaming was in the Neverwinter Nights era because that directly coincided with my actual D and D playing. You know, yeah. uh, high school era. You know, from like two thousand two to you know two thousand five, two thousand six was when uh, those games were active. And then by the time I left for college, I had moved on to other things and you know had no real loyalty to the D and D brand name. Yeah, yep, yep. Yeah. So that's that's a uh, that's I think that's our material. Yeah, for D and D. So exhaustive while simultaneously being cursory. Yeah. Watch out for fireballs. <laughs> How can something take that long? <laughs> and, 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 tell us that much. And cut so cut so shallowly. <laughs> Ta-da! <laughs> um. <laughs> um, but we also so we don't have a, a standard uh, exosode. As you mentioned. So I tell you that for two reasons. One, if you're expecting deleted scenes and listener comments, you're not going to get them. But two, if you're not really into the extra episode, you might be into this one because it's a little different. Yeah. Um, so it's our actual play session of us uh, playing D&D. Or playing Pathfinder, but essentially D&D 3.5. Mm-hmm. Um, but we also want to do a little bit of listener participation because that's very important to us. Mm-hmm. So we sent out a call. Um, Brian, who was on the last episode, very generously. Um, yeah, I guess he bought a four-pack of yeah. uh, the Shadows Over Mistara and a Tower of Doom steam uh re-release yep. so we have two download codes to give away and uh, we decided to do it as a contest flippantly on the previous episode i believe i said it and then everybody else agreed with it but i'll take i'll take responsibility for it D stories is kind of like hearing about people's dreams yeah. um and uh it may be kind of a challenge and also like just a call to hey impress us with something that is actually an interesting and engaging D story and holy shit you guys came through yeah, yeah, we, the, I think the batting average on these is really good. Yeah, none of the I was I was not bored by any of them. So so good that uh, when this episode comes out, we're also going to put them up on the uh, on the blog. Yeah, so you can you can read all of the entries we have. Um, we're only going to read two on the show, and two people are going to get the prize. But everybody's a winner <laughs> because you all have such wonderful D and D memories. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we want to thank everybody who uh, participated. Mm-hmm. Um, so just thank you to uh, Bobulus, Chase, Coyote, uh, Dave, David, Gustavo, Hong Kong, Ian, James, Murph. Russell and Spoon. Yeah. But there can only be two winners that we're yes. going to read right now. So 
Ian McKenzie McDonald via our Facebook page says, well, a lot of my friend's parents were still riding the bad wave that is bothered about Dungeons and Dragons. Was that an actual group? I bet you it was. Okay, cool. Um, It'd be weird if you just made it up. Yeah, I know, but like appropriate, appropriately 80s rather. Um, so, so while people were all hating on D and D, he says, I was fortunate enough to have a father who actually DM for me and the only, uh, and the only two friends I could find willing to play. Uh, this was back in the fourth grade and it's an understatement to say that we had no clue what we were doing. That didn't stop any of us from being convinced that we were the party leader, which frequently led to game halting disputes. The most frequent of which, uh, were between my friend Bob and I. Bob lived down the street from me, and until very recently, still did. His friend Andrew also played with us. Andrew and I were both clerics, which actually worked pretty well considering how brutal 2nd Edition uh, Advanced advanced Dungeons & Dragons was. Uh, Andrew and I gelled pretty well, but one Friday night, Bob and I got into an argument over something so inane I still cannot remember it. Uh, But he stormed off into the narrative woods, separate from the rest of the party. This was after uh, he freed himself from an entangle spell I cast specifically to uh, to keep this from happening. Because when you're 10, that is how logic works. Looking back, it is a testament to my father's narrative ledger domain. Uh, that it never occurred to us that this would have made the game unplayable. Instead, he gave Bob 10 minutes of illusory exploration uh, before being attacked by a brown bear protecting your cub. I think it is important to note how insanely scary wildlife is in 2nd edition D&D. If you've ever played Baldur's Gate, uh, you know that bears are serious business. Of course, I think the furthest we ever got in two years was level five, and this was near the genesis of our adventure. So this was pretty far from an optimal situation. Uh, while Bob was still being mauled um, in short order, uh, Andrew and I decided that it's a fair assumption we could go tromping off into the woods after Bob's character to save him from himself. As an aside, I just remembered that Bob's character was named, wait for it, Bob. <laughs> <laughs> thinking of names is hard <laughs> we arrive and bob uh is still on his feet um and suddenly he recalculates the odds and decides no we got this now andrew and i resign ourselves to the situation at this age you tend to play the cards on the table 20 minutes of second ed- second edition combat later uh we stand totally uh out of spells universally bloodied and victorious then the bear's cub attacks <laughs> I still remember the frustration I felt when I sighed and suggested, could we throw the bear's corpse on top of the cub? <laughs> I'm not sure why this seemed infinitely more possible than running away, but my dad, with his saint-like placidity, only said, strength check. Andrew and I hoisted the dead parent and then trapped her offspring underneath the lifeless corpse <laughs> before dragging Bob away. We were eerily unaware of how macabre this is. <laughs> Uh, which I suppose is why you don't give children weapons and send them off into the woods. It's a Pokemon origin. (laughs) That's what it sounds like. Yeah. So (laughs) he continues. I told you this story so that I could tell you this one. Months later, Bob has wandered off again. This time, uh, we sent him to the next town to pick up uh, more healing potions, while Andrew and I attempted to fix a fighting tournament by slipping alcohol into the potions uh, that fighters would use to heal between rounds. Sweet. Again, children. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) He is on his way back to the town when he hears a low, pained whine coming from the woods. Bob ignores our pleas and wanders into the woods to find a wounded wyvern uh, guarding a magical chest. This is the sort of test that, looking back, my father must have known uh, we would fail. Andrew and I are aghast as Bob decides to feed the wyvern all of our healing potion so that the mini dragon will just give us what's in the chest in exchange, later stating that he also hoped the wyvern would become a pet. 
Bleh. Again, Seems Pokemon, reasonable. right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Abandoning all pretense of not metagaming, Andrew and I stop what we're doing and run down the road while Bob is now fighting a fully healed wyvern. My dad mm-hmm. allowed for some dramatic tension, and the cavalry arrived just in time to save Bob and fend off his mistake. The wyvern decides it has had enough of this and flies off with a chest. I try to shoot down the monster with my only two range spells and fail. I should note that my father was a, was a, was fucking smoke when it came to magical items or treasure, so the chest would have presumably been a huge get. As we stand there, quibbling about our defeat, my father announces, you hear a low growl. We stand, unsure of ourselves, until a young brown bear emerges from the brush. We all look at each other and make the connection. We just fought a dragon. Between Andrew and I, we have two good berry spells, and we're out of healing potions. We run. From then on, all the way through the end of our tenure as Dungeoneers, there was this perpetual uneasiness that began to permeate itself throughout any treacherous situation. Camping out in the wilderness? The bear. Emerging just barely victorious from a dungeon? The bear. Fighting off the corrupt palace guards outside the royal ball? The bear! I still smile at the idea that our most persistent antagonist was a bear that we chose to fuck to fuck with uh, for no actual reason. Some other kids fought liches and demigods, I'm sure. But for us, nothing was more deadly than that opportunistic bear. Until writing this, I never made the connection between this campaign and my father's love for the film The Edge. Thanks for reading. So mm-hmm. that, that was quite a lengthy story, as D&D stories tend to be. But uh, I love stories about dads fucking with their kids. Yeah, that's so funny <laughs> yeah. that he did that. I think that's great. Yeah. Like, just set, setting it up to uh, setting these kids up to get, to fall for this thing. And it's so, like, good dad. Yeah. I'm just telling you, man, D&D makes you a good dad. Right? <laughs> I don't know what it is. But... Yeah, yeah. I, I love that. I love the idea. Sorry. You can't, yeah, you don't fuck around with uh, with animals. Nope. Those things. And just the idea that they need to have stats for every animal because mm-hmm. they were all enemies. <laughs> yep. You know, in, in that edition. Um, yeah. But yeah, it makes me want to play an RPG from the perspective of the bear. <laughs> like, <laughs> you realize you're asking for a yogi game, right? Yeah. Yeah, just hunt down, hunt down those fuckers that killed my. my well, I'd be Boo Boo in the scenario, and Yogi'd okay. be dead. So. Yeah, Yogi'd be dead. Yeah. Oh, man. Going yeah. after the golden picnic basket? Yeah. Yeah. Yep, yep. Yep, yep. Um, so, our, our other, so you, uh, we will email you um, mm-hmm. a copy of that Steam code. So, uh, enjoy it in good health. And uh, Hong Kong, via Something Awful, has our second winning story. <clears throat> and he says. My favorite character in D&D was a half-dragon slash dragonkin monk in D&D 3rd edition. I was only allowed to play that race because I promised I wouldn't play my usual character, a lawful good person who wants to be a hero to everyone. So I didn't. My character was a dick. Not outright evil at the beginning, because even though he was lawful evil, he knew the best way not to get caught was doing evil deeds behind everyone's back. I started small, suggesting we kill prisoners and being overly willing to kill. It wasn't until I hit the level where I was immune to disease that the real fun started. (laughs) At this point in the adventure, we are trying to cure a magical disease that was ravaging a town. The rich part of the town had shut down entirely, the poor parts were dying fast and horrible, and the whole party caught it, including me, when I was still able to. So we went to try to find a source to stop it. When we found the source, I pulled the DM aside and asked if I could steal samples of the disease without anyone noticing. He said okay, not knowing about what was to come. When we came back to town, we went to an apothecary to replicate a cure. However, since it was expensive, only I had the money. Being a monk, I never needed to spend any to afford it. So I had him replicate the disease instead. 
oh, I made sure my party was cured and that they didn't know the difference, but I was going to show the world what I thought of it, which is my favorite line in the story. <laughs> um, as I said, like in Mask of the Red Death, the rich portion of town was walled off, threatening to kill anyone who approached. My party and I, laden with crates of antidote, approached. The usual face of the party was shocked as I took the floor to explain that we had cured the disease and all we wanted was the cost of the gold to make it. No other reward. The DM, who knew what I had done already, wanted to make it hard. So I took a vial of the antidote out, explaining that if I was lying, would I do this? And downed it. Then I rolled a natural 20 to convince them that I was their saver. Uh, critical hits or something else that came from D&D. &D oh, yeah. About. yeah. Yep. Um, it wasn't until days later that the news caught up with us that the whole town was dead of the disease <laughs> and that it was spreading to all the towns around. Immediately, everyone knew it was me. I never before had pulled aside the DM before, much less as often as I had during that adventure, so they knew I was the reason. The lawful good paladin immediately tried to kill me. My character, for the first time ever, was unwilling to fight. The paladin, who out of character knew it was me, but in character didn't know, was torn. Mm -hmm. On one hand, he wanted to kill me, because clearly I was the one who caused all this. On the other, I was arguing that he didn't have any proof, and even if I did do something bad, clearly it couldn't have been my fault. I had been taking the antidote at almost every stop we made to distribute it. That day, uh, that day of D&D almost destroyed the group, but for some reason, they let me continue. And from that point on, I was known as the Plague Bringer. <laughs> mm-hmm. What will fuck up a campaign more, a paladin or a chaotic neutral character? Um, I think that a – boy, that's a good question. I think <laughs> a, a chaotic neutral character has um, more potential to fuck up the actual you know, person-to-person -person dynamics mm -hmm. if they play it like a goddamn moron. Yeah. Like, oh, I'm a big dummy, you know, like yeah. they play them like, like goofy, Yeah, you know, essentially. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, I think – I mean I think a paladin probably. Yeah. Because then you can't uh, – I mean, both of which you shouldn't be able to, you know – I mean, you should be able to do because tension is, <laughs> is real fun. But, um, yeah, they both fuck things up. Yeah. yeah. And the the guy, my my crazy guy in my my villain campaign where I was a villain um, was chaotic neutral. But no one, you know, knew he was necessarily, uh, you know, malicious right. until it was too late. So yeah. – but I was, I was in with the DM and – that's a, that's a real like being in with the DM, taking the DM aside to do things like like cross party stuff <laughs> is really fun. Yeah, like that that's so good. And it, like if you have a good DM, it never like you know if he if if I was the DM and he was just doing this to poison the party or mm -hmm. something like that, like give everyone generous checks to figure it out, yeah. you know, and don't yeah. let it happen. Mm -hmm. But something like this, like all this is going to do is create like a better game. Like it's a yeah. really good story. Mm -hmm. You have this paladin who's now implicated in this thing. <laughs> that's a clear you know clear his name. And stuff like that's you know creating all kinds of cool drama, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah, but yeah, great story. I love cross party stuff. Yeah. Like that's so good. And like every person involved is you know involved in making that story cool. Right? Yeah, like everybody yeah. had agency in that. Just so fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah super cool. And yeah, the, you know, DM, good on you, DM, mm -hmm. for letting it happen. Like make it hard, but he got it, so you have to go with it. You know. <laughs> so, <laughs> and, th and th that was kind of a common theme throughout this was critical uh, critical successes, natural twenties. And yeah. such, like, or natural failures. Yep. Um, you know, just kind of, like, fucking stuff up. But, uh, but yeah. Yeah, which is really fun. Like, that element of randomness. Like, this is, like, it's, you know, procedurally generated storytelling mm -hmm. based on, you know, based on that dice. Like, this wouldn't have happened without that 20, yeah. you know, so that lent itself to the, the rest of the story. Yeah. So, yeah, it's great. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, thank you, uh, Hong Kong, as yeah. well. And uh, we got a, an email coming your way with a, a Steam code. Yeah. And thanks, everybody, again. 
mm-hmm. who who submit stories. We're going to put them up on the blog. Mm-hmm. Um, we encourage you to read them because they're all really good. Yeah. Uh, there are there are at least two other ones I won't mention who they are for for fear of hurting anyone's feelings that almost made it mm-hmm. into the spot that we both liked. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Fantastic. Thank you. Yeah, admin. 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 What are we doing next next time, Cole? Well, next time we are doing another uh, kind of a strange episode, but I'm very much Vampire the Masquerade. <laughs> <laughs> next time we're doing Battletech. Yeah, um, <laughs> no. Like next time we're doing Mage the Ascension yeah. or whatever. Somebody, somebody do a podcast based on that. I would listen to what we just did for every tabletop game. <laughs> yeah. Holy shit. Like would I listen to that? Like Jesus Christ. Like again, I'll just throw that on the the, the table of like if I ever get paid to do this, things I would love to do. Yeah. Um, I'd love to do a tabletop thing that wouldn't like just based on game game to game. Like you try it mm-hmm. and then you just talk about it and talk about the history. Yeah. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Um, so yeah. immediately next, we're doing the uh, the play session uh, recording uh, in lieu of a traditional extra sode, uh, which is going to be a good time. Yep. And yeah. again, uh, just to make things easy, don't expect heavy edits from that. There will be right. coughs and, and burps and stuff. Yep. But uh, that's because it's a long, it's a big chunk. Mm-hmm. Also, actual play sessions are a weird beast. Like, I think it's entertaining and funny. Uh, you know what we did? Mm-hmm. But uh, not everybody likes them. Right. But it's a whole class of podcasts. There are tons of mm-hmm. people who do it. So. Yeah, and it's going to sound different than our usual stuff, too. Yeah, it's in a different room with different sessions. mics. Yep. Yep. But I hopefully you enjoy that mm-hmm. and give you some context on what we experienced directly before this. Yeah. Um, after that, we are doing a uh, an episode, a split episode mm-hmm. on two games. Um, our real mm-hmm. shooter episode on Pokemon Snap and Star Fox. Yeah. So yeah. looking forward to both of those. Those are both um, available um, readily. And they're both uh, short play uh, sessions and yeah. uh, staples in my uh, early Nintendo gaming, rather. Yeah, yep. yeah just uh, looking forward to throwing that Corneria uh, theme <laughs> you know, immediately after the uh, <laughs> after after every after sentence. The theme. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Anytime somebody says the secret word. Um, <laughs> the secret word being um <laughs> yeah the secret word being lovecraftian even though like i probably won't say that during that even though i might Pokemon. <laughs> who knows i think there's a vile plume in my game, so but, uh, fucking vile plume yeah. um but yeah so looking forward to that mm-hmm. and uh, what are we doing after that cole after that is master of orion 2 which is for mm-hmm. the pc and uh yeah. i'm excited about that that is going to be kind of our first uh 4x game mm-hmm um, yeah, so you can get that Suggested on GOG. by uh, Kickstarter backer Brayton Cameron. Yes, Kickstarter backer and friend. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And I actually don't know what, I don't think we've announced what we're doing next, but no, we should. No, I want to hold off it? on what it is oh. because we want to check because that is potentially a guest episode and we should probably check with them to make sure they can do it. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but tell me off mic because I can't remember. Okay. Uh, um, so we'll it, put in a beep. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, Awesome. Uh, we'll announce that when, when we, once we get it cleared, but it's uh, we're running up on the time when it's time to schedule it. Um, yeah. yeah. And, uh, yeah, so that's going to be real good. Um, mm-hmm. And other admin stuff, um, listen to our other shows. Yep. Bonfire so, Side uh, Chat, we are going into our season about Berserk and Kingsfield. Um, yeah. So if you're fans of those, you really ought to be because I like those a lot. <laughs> yeah, they're both really good. Or if you're just fans of the Souls games and you want to, like, you want us to experience for you mm-hmm. these, in, you know, deep, like, really pretty significant influences. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not it's not cursory. You know, the the way right. that uh, you know something something being a spiritual successor is like Kingsfield Four. You know, there's a lot of of demon souls in it. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, so we're 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 handling that in the run up before Dark Souls Two. Mm-hmm. Um, we do a show called Abject Suffering, yeah. which is about whatever. 
<laughs> uh, but, but really ostensibly about bad games. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. We've got the uh, the episode about stone protectors coming out uh, very shortly after this episode. Yeah, uh, protect your stones. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. man, so so good. Uh, <laughs> game of stones. Um, yeah. Uh, Cole does a game uh, show called The Level mm-hmm. with uh, with his buddies, some of which we mentioned in this episode. Yeah. Um, David playing D anD D, which is a video game roundtable show. Yeah. Um, he also has a show called Those Damn Ross Kids, which is an eminent return. <laughs> yep. The the the, the uh, relaunch has been delayed a little bit, but I assure you, it is not dead on the table. If I yeah. keep saying it, it will remain true. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the the circle of life works in in all ways, and as <laughs> as those damn Ross kids gains comes back to life. Um, I've got a couple of shows that are either winding down or on a, a kind of hiatus, mm-hmm. um, but are evergreen. Uh, both of them called uh, Pilot Season and uh, The Pitch. Yep. So worth your time, both of those. Yeah, and also worth your time is check it out, Comrade, which you do with Nick Glaber, uh, who yeah, we've also mentioned. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, we do two indie games every episode. It's short, and we just kind of talk about what's neat about it. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you should check it out, um, that's real fun. Mostly recent episode we recorded, we did um, uh, two of them. There were people like really small games, so like people we either know or have a you know abstract connections to, mm-hmm. um, including um, Cole. You should play if you if I didn't already tell you this Horse Master. Oh, that uh, yeah, I played that. That is so okay. fucking good. That uh, yeah. Twine game, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but it's it's one of my favorite twine games I've mm-hmm. seen, and it's a, a guy who my girlfriend knows. Um, so we did, you know, like let's get as indie as possible, <laughs> and I did an episode on that, which was yeah. really fun. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, also, I do a blog called Hex Crank. It's about survival horror games. Uh, the next one is going to be, out to be about Sweet Home. Still working my way through that game. It's a little bit longer than the previous ones. It's fluid. The update schedule. Um, eventually, the games are going to get shorter again. But uh, but yeah. Yeah, and then they're going to get way longer. Yep. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, if you're gonna if you're gonna beat them all. Before you write a thing, it's going to be. I mean, I'm not saying that as a, that sounded more accusatory, accusatory <laughs> or critical than I am intended to. But well, the, uh, I also know. really like Sweet Home, so I am inclined to be. Yeah, it. yeah, yeah. You're not going to beat everything right. if it's you know it's garbagey. Mm-hmm. You probably won't. Yeah, and then uh, you should also do uh, ratings, reviews, iTunes, Facebook, Amazon referral link, Facebook. Um, real quick note, just so just and I'll just leave this here without giving any context. Yeah, people who make stuff that you listen to. Mm-hmm. On, on on the internet they're just guys <laughs> you know like they're just people so you should treat them with respect and everything yeah just throwing that out there yep. and leaving it there so the uh that, that's that would be my 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 thing to keep in mind yep i so, agreed entirely yeah so be you know be nice to to people because mm-hmm. uh they're also people yeah and in general like you, most of you like the overwhelming almost yeah. plurality of yeah you. this isn't just like yeah you know, why are you guys just calling us dicks by the droves no no <laughs> you know no yeah, but i mean no. it, it's just uh you know we we were blessed with very very uh yeah you know very very nice uh people mm-hmm. listen to the show yep um but and then take that to you with other podcasts and stuff you listen to yeah yeah you don't like what happened during that uh season of community that Dan dan Harmon left <laughs> don't don't send Dan Harmon an angry tweet. No. He's just a guy. who know, You don't know what's going on in his life. Yeah. Everybody has their reasons, right? Yeah. yeah. It's just as complicated as your life, buddy. Yep. Um, yeah. And uh, on that note. <laughs> um, uh, on that chastising note. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Most of you keep doing what you're doing. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Um, we love you. Yeah. <laughs> Real, I'll, I'll close this out with a super brief D&D story. Okay. There was a, like a board game CD hybrid of uh, D&D that one of my friends had. That we ran Dragon through. And I, 
Um, it wasn't Dragon Strike. It was similar to that, though. Dragon Strike actually, yeah, it wasn't Dragon Strike. That was VHS. This had a, this was yeah. an audio CD <laughs> that did all this stuff. And uh, I was playing with a guy. And one of the first times I played D and D, where the DM like fucked with things, mm-hmm. um, my friend Eric, uh, we were just getting totally slaughtered. And we ran into a gelatinous cube. Like we saw just a bunch of you know floating armor and, and arms and stuff in the air and had not encountered that monster and I'd never encountered him in the fiction mm-hmm. before. Um, so we, we came towards this floating armor and stuff and turned out to be a gelatinous cube and he made him grow arms and turn into a store because we were dying so so much. He was like, what would you like? I can pull it from any part of my body and, like, and give us stuff that is in exchange so for money. good. Because, I mean, because it's adaptable because yeah. he was a good DM whereas, like, the, you know, the design would have just murdered us. Yeah. But, yeah, it was funny. Yeah. Oh, that's a, There's that, also that, in that one of the tracks had a had a battle sound, like all the sounds of a battle. <laughs> and there was a delay of like three seconds at the end where someone goes, nice shot at the end. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't know why. Yeah. <laughs> like it's just like oh, the clanking had long stopped. <laughs> just you, you, you gotta you gotta give big ups to your bro, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep, yep. Maybe exactly. that was the bard who was singing his song of praise. Yeah, yeah. He, he, what, he, is he in filter? Yeah. <laughs> hey, man. Nice shot. I've done a pretty good job of disguising that I'm sick during this episode. Yeah. So uh, I'm going to leave that. And uh, until then, watch out for nice shots. <laughs> <laughs>